Cinemodities, late night movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddies where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, normal, or off kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And I am the fat controller, the fattest controller. So before we can finish up our uh, Unexpected Love series, this month of Cinemodities, another series comes to a close, we have to get to some administrative things regarding fan mail. So I I like that this isn't a regular segment, but, you know, I think it ties in well, especially to our segment during the Hudsucker Proxy episode. Uh, If you remember from there, we had an email uh, from Barry. I think we're still using the alias, right? (laughs) Yeah, I'm pretty sure Barry does not want us disclosing his real name now. Okay, so so we're gonna we're gonna keep that Barry. Uh, we got the great email uh, that inspired a bonus episode uh, from a, a few weeks back, I think, at this point. But as we said last week, um, he responded to us well about Vanilla Sky, and then we had a discussion on well, how do you introduce someone to a cinemodity? So we released that episode. Zach and I had a great discussion about it. And kind of out of nowhere, we were very surprised to receive this. We got an email from Barry's uh, Bear, a better half or other half. I don't know if we can say better half anymore. Is that allowed? Do people still say that, Zach? Well, as long as it's the woman's the better half, yes, you're still allowed to say okay. that. Okay, benevolent sexism. Oh, boy. <laughs> so we got this email um, from from uh, female Barry, I-, I guess. I was trying to think of an alias for, for this person, but nothing really came to mind. Mrs. Barry. Miss, okay, sure. How about Ms. Barry? Ms. Barry, yes. Okay, so Ms. Barry, uh, got, we got an email from her, and it said, Rob and Zach, let me introduce myself. I am Ms. Barry, Barry's girlfriend. First off, thank you for making fun of his spelling. I constantly correct him, and I laughed a belly laugh during that part. I will continue to tease him about it. You have just given me more material. So, Ms. Barry, right off the bat, good. Keep making fun of him. Make fun of everybody for their spelling, especially for words with many syllables that are related to podcasts you listen to. And before we continue with the email, Zach knew I was going to bring this up. We had another great misspelling of cinemodities in the Knights of Vader Facebook group from Norm, who spelled it not only with an A instead of an E at the beginning, but then there's no extra I, so it's cinema dits, cinema dit dites. I don't even know how you would pronounce it. Um, uh, that makes me think of cinnamon. So if you think this podcast is about cinnamon oddities, I'm sorry, you've been gravely mistaken. It's cinematic, so there's an E in there. But of course, we have to give the shout out to Maximo for correcting him. So I wasn't going to correct him. I knew Zach wasn't going to correct him. We just add all these misspellings and mispronunciations to the bank. But we have a fan who was like, uh, just so you know, actually, it's spelled this way. (laughs) The best kind of fan. Yeah, I I dug that. I dug that for sure. Um, Keep that in mind. The spelling thing is actually going to come up later in this segment. But back to Miss Barry's email. That was the first point, the uh, making fun of his spelling. Second, I don't generally listen to podcasts, but since this episode was about me, I thought I'd listen. We love that you listened to it. We love that you emailed us about it. But I think Zach and I are in agreement. This wasn't really about you, okay? Like, like, come on. Like, we, we know you were the inciting person in Barry's original email, but we were trying to make it a little more general for all of our listeners. You know, so don't, let's not get crazy, Miss Barry, okay? 
any thoughts on that, Zach? Are you, are you leaving me to fall in that hole? Okay, uh, right on. <laughs> I'll go let you fall on that sword. Well, I'm going to continue to dig it with the third point. Though I appreciate y'all trying to save his hide when discussing his other email, if I didn't already know about the having sex three or four times in one night, <laughs> he would have been dead. I, I don't think there's anything more to say about that. That's we, <laughs> nope. we get it, I guess. You know, Zach and I have both been in relationships. We get it. Okay. Fourth, we are planning on watching Book of Henry. Great. I love weird literature and movies, so we might take some of your other recommendations. Fantastic. That's exactly why I think you and I wanted to list some more stuff in that episode, you know, to give that, like I think I say in there, give that a uh, little bit of, you know, well, what's next type of thing. And then lastly, I thoroughly enjoyed the entire podcast. I see why he listens to y'all on a regular basis. And then in parentheses, probably the most surprising part of this email. Also, I thought the Ted Bundy movie was great. I, I have to ask Zach, since that's all it says in the email, and we get the signature, and it, and it goes off, uh, how do we, or do we know for sure that Miss Berry has watched the same Ted Bundy movie we have watched? Because there's like 20 of them, you know? Yeah, uh, when I saw that, I, you can describe the Ted Bundy movie as a lot of things. Great is not one of them. <laughs> Despicable. Oh, yeah. Bizarre. <laughs> Morbid curiosity. I needed a shower afterwards. <laughs> oh, definitely. Um, uh, Becky's the farmer, farmer's daughter. That's another way yep. I described the movie. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, I, I don't know. There's a bunch. Of, we, we have to see kind of like proof of purchase before we can give any like cinematis brownie points. Yes, yes. Um, so Ted Bundy movie. Um, I think I don't remember. What, the one we watched was just called Bundy or Ted Bundy? Did it have a subtitle? I don't remember. No, it's just um, Ted Bundy 2002, because that okay. was the year it was released. Okay, so, yeah, we, we like to think, you know, in the, the optimistic part of our podcast brains, that Miss Barry did watch the same Ted Bundy movie that we discussed. And if you thought it was great, I, I guess that's a good thing. Maybe, you know... Don't contact us again if you thought it was great, but who knows? <laughs> don't, no, don't, don't tell people that at parties. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't be like Ted Bundy in that movie uh, saying that serial killers are interesting at the party you go to. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, yes, uh, in all seriousness, though, thank you, Miss Barry, for reaching out to us. We're glad you liked the episode and like the bonus episode. And like we said in there, let us know how it goes when you watch uh, Book of Henry. We would love some feedback to see if it was a, a good introduction and you get the gist of what we're going for over here. Did you have anything else to say to Miss Barry, Zach, before we, we hopefully end that sexual email chain <laughs> going along with the two of us and a couple out, out in the, the listener land? <laughs> I'll let you, you know what, Rob, I think you handled it quite well. Okay, okay. So, continuing on with some fan responses, uh, it's almost become a, I would say, a, a slightly recurring segment. We have another comment from Scott E. on our Podbean. So, he's usually, in the past, sent us some recommendations for subtitles, but this one is notably different. This is a comment on the bonus episode that we've been discussing so far, and Scott E. basically wrote a book. He wrote a lot in this comment. As I said to Zach before we started recording, I didn't even know you could write this much on Podbean comments. But here we go. He says, this episode is required listening, which I love, because if you listen closely and critically at the beginning, you will finally learn the origin story of the Cinemodities restaurant. 
when I read this, my ears kind of perked up because I was like, I don't think we discussed the restaurant in the slightest in that bonus episode. He goes on to say, I'll spoil it for you here, though it does not obviate anyone's obligations to listen. He's covering his bases. Scotty's doing a good job with the, uh, the publicity here. Here's what happened. A listener email, not one from me this time, gave Rob the idea to prepare a spelling slash pronunciation dictionary. This project went forward with the catastrophic result of the concentrated irony generated by Zach's involvement with such a project reaching critical mass, rending a hole in space-time and sucking our two beloved hosts into the quantum superlocation that will become, became, is becoming the restaurant. That's how it is an infinite void. That's how the place gives Newton and Einstein the cosmological finger. Mystery finally solved. As always, gents, great episode. So right off the bat, the first time I read this, I I kind of lost my mind. <laughs> I think this is something that, you know, maybe if it was uh, not the first we've heard from Scott E., Zach would have read this and go, Rob, why are you commenting on our own podcast? Because this sounds like a, some convoluted explanation I would have come up for the infinite void of the restaurant. But I don't know how Scott E. got this from the bonus episode, but I'm glad he did. On a scale of 1 to 10, I would say this is an 8 in the truthfulness of how the restaurant actually came to be. Uh, it's basically a, a black hole on the planet Earth that sucked us into it, trapping us there, requiring us to make it a restaurant. What did you think about this, Zach? W- were you uh, were you on top of the moon when you read this? Did you even read it? <laughs> I I read it. I when I first got to the part Rob mentioned where he's like, "Oh, I I know how the restaurant started." Me, I was also like, "I don't think we ever talked about that in the episode." <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, "Okay, I'm kind of curious where he's going with this." And then when it kind of just uh, devolved into Rob nonsense, I'm like, oh, oh, <laughs> and it was like, okay, I can tune out now. Um, but one thing I do have to say is that I'm not sure how many of our listeners know that there is, I'm looking at the Cinematis master spreadsheet mm-hmm. and there is a very specific episode of the podcast because I'm looking at Rob's notes. It yes. actually says we reached the inception of the cinema of these restaurants. So yes, there yeah, is made, a very specific no, episode. Yeah, it's good. It's good fun. Uh, it wasn't the bonus episode. It was uh, a little, a little earlier, I would say for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, go back and listen to all our old episodes because of course it'll help the downloads, but also you'll uh, learn things about the restaurant and you might remember things that Zach and I have completely forgotten about it. <laughs> I do have to say that in the series that it's wrapped around, I, I, I'm kind of shocked that's where it began. Uh, it was a... Uh, right? Don't give it away. Why not? What's the point of giving it away? <laughs> now people are going to go back and listen to it. That has to be bleeped out now. That has to be bleeped <laughs> out now. I will bleep that out. You know, folks, you have to earn the right to figure out where the Cinematis restaurant begins. <laughs> You have to earn that. You have to. You have, if somebody, okay, you know what, folks? Uh, Scott E. Uh, Barry, Barry's girlfriend, Porg Knight. If you're out there, any of the cast of characters we have, Emily. Um, uh, if, you know what? We'll we'll figure out something. If you can figure out the the specific episode where the Cinematis restaurant is launched, not just us talking about random food ideas, but the actual episode where it is launched, we'll, we'll send you a gold star. <laughs> perfect perfect yeah the continuing adventures of, of zach and rob fighting about 
Zach wanting to save things for reveal and Rob saying nothing in life is good or fun. So it doesn't matter if there's a reveal. <laughs> it, doesn't matter. it doesn't matter. Oh, geez. Okay. Okay. So, um, Scott E, thank you for that comment. We loved it. Um, I think as, uh, we've established on this podcast, Scott E is firmly team Rob. I think this just solidifies that even further. And, uh, I love it. You know, he's the one who said, let me rant more, Zach. So Scotty, you're, you're good one. You're, you're good one. Mr. Dragonblade. The last bit of fan email is probably from our most diehard fan. We've only done this once before, but we have to discuss an email that we got that went directly to our spam folder. If you recall, we had previously received an email asking us if we needed a loan. And that was pretty funny because every week we talk about how we need money for the restaurant. So someone was listening. But this uh, spam email stood out to me in particular because I have never, ever seen one like this before. So I don't think there's any more setup that needs to be said. I'm just going to read it. And this is not edited in any way, folks. This is exactly what we received. Hi, dear. How are you doing? Hope you are fine and okay. I was just going through the Internet search when I found your email address. I want to make a new and special friend, so I decided to contact you to see how we can make it work out if we can. Please, I wish you will have the desire with me so that we can get to know each other better and see what happens in future. My name is Lisa Williams. I am an American, but presently I live in the UK. I will be glad to see your reply for us to know each other better to exchange pictures and details about us. Yours, Lisa. So needless to say, as soon as we got this email, we contacted her back, we gave her our bank account number, we sent her <laughs> nudes of ourselves, and we're hoping that we're going to have a, uh, you know, like a, a groupie type of thing for, in Lisa Williams. That was the right response to our, the spam message, right? Was to give up personal information immediately? Well, I think we, our first email before we sent all of our personal stuff was just send nudes. And when we spelt nudes, we spelt it with instead of an S at the end, we did a Z. Nudes. Did, did we even do U-D-E or was it N-O-O-D-Z? <laughs> Is that how the kids are spelling it these days? <laughs> Rob, kids can't spell to begin with. They don't know what letters are. It's just emojis and just pictures of their genitals. Oh, that's the... Damn it. Zach and I only talked about this email. We didn't talk about the bit afterwards, but that would have been the bit to do. The response to this email was the eggplant emoji, the water squirt emoji, and a <laughs> winky face emoji. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, we got there. We're gonna okay. We're I'm gonna email Lisa that right now. <laughs> oh boy. Oh um, yes. yes, yeah. It's, it's it's a fun time at the Cinematis restaurant, folks. Rob sits in his office up on like the the fifteenth floor. The, I don't know, maybe fifteenth at infinity floors. And he's just responding to these emails while just cackling to himself. Oh yes, yes. So thank you to all our fans, uh, be they real or fake. So, you know, Scott E and, and the Barry family over there, uh, or Lisa, the fake one. Thank you. Uh, thanks to all of you for listening us, supporting us. We love hearing from you, especially if you have crazy thoughts about the restaurant, interest in cinemodities. It's always good fun. I hope we get to keep this segment going. Um, and I hope people will eventually stop misspelling the name of our podcast. <laughs> we can only hope, folks. We can only hope. And yes, I do blame them. It's not my fault for picking a crazy word. It's all their fault for not putting the effort into looking at the damn screen of their phone when they listen to the podcast. Oh, okay. God. I'm done. I'm done. Don't, disenfran <laughs> don't disenfranchise the listeners anymore than you already have, Rob. Oh, geez. All right. Without any further ado, I hope 15 every... Minutes, 15 minutes later into the Thomas the Tank Engine. That's good. We got a lot of emails. We got a lot of emails. Uh, so... 
If we had any more emails, that would have been its own bonus episode. Uh, without any further ado, I hope everybody in the audience, while they were listening to that, has been screaming out, who do they think loves this week's topic of discussion? And uh, what, are, what are we actually calling this, sack? Because I know in the spreadsheet we've lumped it under Thomas the Tank Engine. Isn't it Thomas and Friends to some extent, what we watched? Can you... Can you give more, uh, maybe nail that down? Which one is it? I was, just, I was just confused, I guess I should say. Well, it's 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 kind of all over the place because, like, okay, how, it depends on how much history we want to give for this. Um, I think to go without saying, folks, uh, this is a Zach episode. Like, I know Rob tried, like, kind of framing it last week. Like, this is because <laughs> we talked about Hudsucker Proxy, which none of you guessed was a Rob's choice. Nobody uh, should get comfortable. Remember that. Even, <laughs> even though we just fell into the same exact pattern with this series. Don't yes. get comfortable. <laughs> I, it's funny. I don't think most people realize that when it comes to us doing series on Cinematis, um, like prior to the uh, sketch comedy fort month, there was a lot of give and take. <laughs> and now it's like Rob is still firmly in probation. And it's it's and this is kind of one of the very few instances where Rob was a, li- a little bit off the leash. And, yeah, and I get good. I get a, a little bit here and there. I'm trying to work my way back into good graces. Yeah, yeah. so we know it's gonna happen. The moment we let him off the leash completely, we're going right back to some we- like last week's episode said some weird Rob crap. Oh, it's gonna be the and- shivering truth like immediately. Whenever I get a choice again, it's gonna be all oh, of no. the shivering truth episode. Oh no! Oh no! Vern Chapman, Rob's doing himself. <laughs> Rob's doing himself again. Um, uh, but no, so, okay, this is Zach episode, I picked this, I think as Rob can tell you, I was very, very conflicted about this final choice, mm-hmm. it went through many, many iterations, I think at one point I had La La Land, and then Rob said, no, that's dancing, Zach, people will know you love dancing, and then it went to, oh, I'm gonna do Titanic, and it was like, eh, Titanic, I can fit into other things, and plus that's not surprising, considering we have, like, Oh God, seven and a half hours of us talking about Titanic to a, for a different reason. Yep. And then I was like, oh, and then eventually what it kind of came down to was uh, the crimes of Grindelwald. Mm-hmm. And it was like, yeah, we can do that though. But I could, I, that, to this, I still think I could have substituted this because I really don't know where else I could ever fit that unless we ever do a Harry Potter series. And as Rob always jokes, that would be, I will have a McAndrew on the podcast, but not this one. And... So I decided on Thomas because I've always wanted to talk about the TV show, and yeah, I've always figured it'd be weird fitting that in to a series because I know we've talked about doing like children's entertainment that's like weird in retrospect, yep. something like Courage the Cowardly Dog, Ed and Eddie. Some of these more things were like you watch them years later, and you're like, wow, a lot of the humor went over my head at the time. And I don't think Thomas is like that anyway because that's kind of the uh, giving my thesis for this going forward is that I think Thomas transcends children's entertainment or at least this incarnation of thomas the tank engine and that's where i guess bringing it full circle to rob's first question how we want to kind of just identify this we're going to be talking about the first five series of thomas Mm -hmm. uh the name of this kind of it depends i know like depending on where you live in the world it has so many different names i've always known uh, quote unquote my iteration of thomas as thomas the tank engine Okay. No, this Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends. None of this Thomas and Friends mumbo jumbo. The this incarnation of Thomas, the one that I would imagine most people are familiar with, is considered live action model animation. Yes. And that's and this was basically when the show started in 1984. 
and I don't have the exact timeline as to when they transitioned into completely CGI. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we get into this, I think it's Rob's answer is going to be much, much shorter than mine. What is your history of Thomas the Tank Engine or just Thomas as a brand? Oh, sure. So this was something I was definitely trying to nail down before this. Um, because as I started to watch this, or I guess even earlier when Zach, you know, told me that this is what we're going to be doing for this last spot, this series, I was kind of like, okay, I knew all about it. And like Thomas, the tank engine is something that I've known about my whole life, I would say. And when I thought about that a little bit more, I was kind of like, I don't really remember ever watching this when I was younger. I don't remember, like, maybe I had a book or something like that. And so I was really trying to say, like, well, do I know Thomas the Tank Engine because I was, you know, I was uh, experienced it when I was younger? Or do I just know it through cultural osmosis? And I went so far as even to talk to my mom if she remembered me watching this and she couldn't. Um, so I think what we, we rested on was if I ever watched this, it would have been so long ago, like at the part of my life that is just decayed from my memory. Like I watched it when I was a really little kid type of thing. I think I might have had a book or two, maybe like an action figure type of thing. Um, But certainly my history with Thomas the Tank Engine and ever since, you know, what I can remember to now has just been being aware of it. And I've never really looked into it with, you know, to any great capacity. I never would have watched it if it wasn't for this podcast. Um, But really kind of just like I know about it because I guess it's a, a cultural phenomenon in some case. I would imagine a lot of people still know about Thomas, right? Well, that's okay. Fair. Because I kind of didn't expect Rob to have that much of history with this. The the thing about Thomas is that, like, it's the how I complain a lot on the Star Wars podcast when it comes to like the not much Star Wars people. And yes, I know I've made this comment about like things like Doctor Sleep, but Thomas is kind of the the OG obsession of mine. Ooh. Before there was Star Wars, before there was Titanic, there was thomas the tank engine oh okay i i I, again it's one like rob said i cannot tell you the exact moment i got into that thomas because it happened probably sometime when i was in the ballpark of three years old give or take Mm -hmm. and i again i can't tell you whether i was introduced to the toys first the the tv show any of that because my Thomas has always been a presence in my life, not as much as like Star Wars would later go on to be where it's just, it became kind of ubiquitous. It became tied to my identity, but I don't think without Thomas being there to kind of prime me when it comes to, oh God, being a slave to, oh God, entertainment brands. I don't think I would have had the same fascination with things like Star Wars. Oh, okay. So this kind of like introduced you to you know latching on to something hardcore is what you're saying as an entertainment property because my mother always joked that like i went through phases with like different things i would be obsessed with and i could say it even happens it doesn't happen as much now that i'm an adult but even happen i'd say even back in college is like the very first thing was was, um thomas because i had everything i had all the the die cast metal trains i had the wooden trains i had like i had everything especially the wooden ones this day i still have all my wooden my wooden collection of stuff and it's just i had everything i really did like every single character some of the different i don't want to say outfits but like some some of the thomas ones had him with a cow catcher some of them had him with the snow cap on I had all the different this locales like the the the, the works where they fixed them, mm-hmm. the the sheds. Oh, it was it was glorious. 
Um, I, I used to love doing that when I was younger, putting them all together, making my huge setup of all the trains. That was one of the things people came to my house. We had to play Thomas when I was younger. Okay. Um, so, but then so over question, if you, sure. if you still have these Thomas, uh, figures, or I, I don't know, trains, I don't know what they'd be called action trains, figures, yeah. maybe trains, um, the toys, 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 toys. Sure. Um, I, if, if I'm going to ask you, and if the answer is no, I, I want to put in the request that it be added to the collection. Do you have a Thomas the Tank Engine flying above your head in your room with all your Star Wars shit? <laughs> and like I said, if the answer is no, I want one up there because that would be hilarious for someone to come in your room and be like, "Oh, look at all the Star Wars chefs and be like, "Is that is that a train with a face? What what, what episode of Star Wars was that in?" <laughs> if only, Rob. No, actually, as I've been talking to you, I am holding my diecast Thomas and my diecast uh, lady. Lady being from the movie, she's not in the TV series. Okay. Um, but yes, uh, I do not have them hanging from my ceiling, unfortunately. <laughs> okay. You, you, you can't you can't climb every mountain, Rob. You gotta leave some. You gotta leave some some areas untapped. You, you can't expand <laughs> everything. Um, uh, but no, so like no, Thomas was always there for me. He was always like the bedrock of these things. And like I said, like I would go on from Tom and, and Thomas is one of these ones that I'd always come back to. He was an evergreen in that sense where like, mm. I would go from like Thomas to toy story. And then I kind of like toy story kind of the mileage ran out on that. Sure. So it's like, okay, what's the next thing after that? Well, there's, there's small soldiers. Well, after small soldiers, what was there? There was a bug's life. And after a bug's life, there was something else. And then after all these things, eventually Star Wars came in kind of like a meteor and kind of destroyed everything else. Yeah. It, it kind of wiped it. You know, I, I still bought Thomas stuff. I can still remember like in 2003, after my um, nephew and I saw Daredevil, we went to the train store in Florida. And I remember getting like the uh, the logs, the log, oh God, the... The lumber mill, the lumber mill mm. thing for the the wood set. So no, Thomas. I think the last time I ever bought anything Thomas related was, I want to say summer of two thousand five. So I was twelve years old, and um, that was kind of the end of it. That was the final nail in the coffin when it came to buying Thomas stuff and in any sort of mean. I think a couple. I think God, almost ten years ago, I bought a VHS tape. It was like four bucks. So okay. I didn't really consider that a major purchase. Um, but no, so, and so Thomas was really that foundation. And, and I guess this is what I kind of want to get at, and I do want to frame this for the audience, is that like Rob was told last week that he's not allowed to do a lot of his um, Star Wars beep boop trash can. With this, he's, he's kind of been told he's not allowed to analyze it in that sort of way. I know, I know there's certain parts of these episodes that he can't, he can't resist himself, because there's a couple things even I have questions about as to how the mechanics of this world work. Sure. We'll certainly get into that with time. Um, but no, just as to my, my context is that Thomas has always been there. And while I do rewatch these, I do feel there is, it's not just children's entertainment. I'm not looking at this with the being blinded by nostalgia. I think there is an artistry to this. There is a, just a, oh God, the, the crafty work of it all that it definitely transcends children's entertainment. I would, I would, I wouldn't call this kid show fodder in the same way that something like Arthur or like other mm. PBS or like Wishbone. People remember Wishbone from back in the day. I think this this transcends that. I would call this and I might say Thomas. I'm not talking about every all of Thomas. I'm talking, I'd say, about the first maybe two to three seasons, probably more just the first season, maybe the second, where I at this point I would classify it as art. 
Okay, okay. I I would have to agree. I um, like I said already in my context. I you know just have I've never watched this in any recent years. You know, it would have had to have been early single digits the last time I watched anything Thomas related. Um, that's what really stood out to me when watching these. I guess we should say you know we watched twenty seven different episodes or segments. They're all like four and a half minutes long. Yeah, segments. Um, yeah, the thing that really stood out to me is the kind of the environment, the the miniatures, the artistry of it. Um, the fact that, you know, what did you call it? Model something? It's, it's not really live, anim- yeah. live action. What's officially classified as live action model animation. OK, OK, because I, as I was watching it, I was like blown away by the fact that there there is some motion but so much of these segments are just compositions of perfectly static images with a voiceover. And I was kind of amazed by that because this must have been quite inexpensive to produce. Just set up some models and get a shot and you just play it for a certain amount of time. But it's like, it's like you're living in a miniature. It's like when you would go to like a hobby shop or, or a, tra- a toy train shop and they'd have those grandiose, you know, miniatures set up. I always thought those were really cool. And watching these, it was like you were right in one of them. And and I agree with you, Zach, that it is kind of like a, an artistry to it. And it's it's pretty interesting. Yeah. And I think that's because I know like, I think everybody's heard this before. Like you'll talk to like your parents or your grand or more parents and people will talk about like different things when they watched when they were a kid. Mm-hmm. I know my thing is like people are like, oh, I can still watch like those original like Mickey Mouse shorts from like the 30s and 40s and be like, oh, I can still watch them to this day. Like despite the fact that I'm 40 years old. And I don't mean and if I, I don't mean that in a condescending way. So like I'll watch what was designed as children's entertainment for like generations of yesteryear sure. and i'm like this this is dry i'm like it's like don't be wrong like, i appreciate it on an artistic level especially like some of those like old mickey mouse shorts um but like in the sense of like giving that to a child of anybody that came after that initial generation it was designed for yeah. i'm like y- you kind of have a hard time selling it not that I'm, i would imagine some kids wouldn't glom onto it but it's the idea that like there's there's something lost there there's really no it's very two-dimensional yeah. And a lot of that is just because of the technology at the time and they're just kind of the restraints of what they were able to do. Mm-hmm. And I've always kind of in the last, I'd say, three to four years, I've kind of struggled with this when it comes to Thomas. And I okay, maybe more than that, in that I look at what's happened to Thomas currently, and by currently I mean the last 10 years. And I guess you should say that Thomas is still on to this day. It has never really stopped since the early 1980s. Yeah. The problem is that they they have literally sucked the soul out of Thomas. Oh. It is essentially a living corpse of what it once was. <laughs> There's the, the people who make the show now have no understanding as to why people or why children back in the day found these stories and these characters so engaging. Mm-hmm. Because before this, uh, I guess a little bit of history. I'm going to link to it in the show notes, but I didn't. I didn't have Rob watch this. Is that someone? Someone's made an entire like YouTube documentary done like in segments called "Streaming to Legacy," and what it was. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Not streaming. Steaming to Legacy, okay. and <laughs> it's documenting the entire history of Thomas going back from the book series, which is what this was based on. It was based on the the Reverend W. Audrey, who wrote all these stories for his son. And he eventually adapted them into children's books, and his son would later go on to write the books as well. And then in the early 80s, they it was the third attempt. 
they actually signed the television rights to Brit Allcroft, and that's how you got the live action animation model version of Thomas. Okay. And over time, what happened with this was that eventually the family, I think, lost either they sold the rights. Again, the story's out there in this video series. I don't know. It's, I mean, like, I'm not joking, folks. It's like eight chapters long, and <laughs> it like each one's like a half an hour long. Like, if you want like in depth Thomas Thomas history. Go watch it. It's more than you ever think could exist. God, I got um, to watch that and the In Search of Darkness documentary. That's like nine hours of documentary. <laughs> nine hours of glorious, glorious uh, context drop. Go from Thomas um, to horror in one night or that, one that day be, with that long. That, that won't be jarring. Um, but no, the, the point being is that eventually Hit Entertainment, which owns all of your – all the – what was huh, – I don't know how to describe Hit. They own a bunch of children's properties like Barney and yeah. a bunch of others. And they just – they did the thing that Disney does. And this, and this is part of the reason why I don't trust any of these entertainment conglomerates because they don't understand how any of this stuff works. It's just as long as the check clears. Mm-hmm. That's the mentality. And I remember even and Thomas, Thomas was going downhill even like in the early 2000s because kind of after the movie came out in July of 2000, everything felt very bumpy. Okay. In the sense that like this, yes, I was getting older and by older, I mean like I was eight years old, but the stories didn't kind of, they, they felt really hollow. Sure. And I, and the weird thing though is that, a lot of people will be like, oh, you're getting older, your interests are changing. And I don't think that's the case because whether I was 3, 12, 20, or currently 27, I find these stories, not just the ones that Rob and I are going to highlight, and for those of you who care, I made a YouTube playlist, and I'm going to have that in the show notes as to everything that we, every segment we discuss. I'm not going to discuss every single one, but just if you want to see what I gave Rob, there you go. Um, the idea is just that there's there's something to Thomas, the tank engine, in his original three seasons, or I think they're called series, but we're gonna call them seasons because that's just the American term for it. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a magic here. Cause even I gave Rob some of the ones from the fourth and fifth season, and especially the fifth season, where you can tell there's just it, it, the episodes get very wonky mm-hmm. and the premise and the premise kind of goes all over the place. The the last one Rob had to watch was the boulder with the face. That yes. just that that just moves in every single direction possible. It just it, it's a boulder that has a hard on for trains. It just likes chasing trains down the <laughs> the tracks. Um, and I watched that and I'm like, this is this is this is garbage. Um, I appreciate the amount of um, craftsmanship that goes into it because there really is a lot of neat stuff on a physical level. Like the explosion at the end is great, um, and especially the weird sort of anthropomorphism of the the boulder that happens. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, It's very surreal at times Um, But I do think that There is a level of artistry In those first two seasons That when it comes to children's entertainment Is truly unparalleled and, yeah, and the thing- I, I would agree. I, I definitely, know, I, I totally agree with you. Like the season four and season five stuff was losing me for sure. Yeah, and I think that's because it was starting to become more and more popular. Because the thing starts out in 1984, they worked on it all in 1983, mm-hmm. and they kind of, not that they didn't know how it was going to do, but they kind of like anything in life. You put something new out into the world. It was the early 80s. There wasn't really this sort of children's entertainment on this. Like, like this before this really was something that was new 
it came out in 84 and then they didn't release the second season until like 86 so this time went on it became more and more popular okay. and like and like anything in life the more and more popular it becomes it becomes a lot more people stick their fingers in the pie mm. yep and yeah, i think the, the bane I, of uh notoriety yep <laughs> sure and I think that's why in the, the later seasons, and when we're talking about this, we're talking seasons one through five. We're not talking about, like I think, I think we're up to like season 26 now. And I think you start to lose that sort of creative focus. I think a lot of the original people were gone. They left. Mm-hmm. They became, and I know this sounds horrible. I don't, I'll, I'll elaborate, it, elaborate on it in, in a few minutes. I think it got a lot lazier. Okay. The, the artistry went down the toilet for more um, just gags. Mm, mm-hmm. Because there's some there's some stuff, and I want to highlight specific segments and moments. But there's some really there's some beautiful vistas. Yeah, just the set design, the amount of just again craftsmanship being the key word of this episode that just goes into some of this just the, the models and just the terrain that you can almost you could take a still image of it and frame it, and you'd be like, this is a piece of art. Oh, absolutely. That that was definitely my favorite part. Like I said before, it's like you're living in one of those little miniatures. And it's so cool. I don't remember which segment it was from, but uh, the episode like takes place a lot around, I think, dawn. And so it's like the sun is rising. The color of the sky is beautiful. And I was like, oh, my God, I could look at this, you know, all day type of thing. You're absolutely right. Yeah, because there are some because I. In the segments I gave Rob, I did try to pick some story arcs where there was some sort of like narrative other than just like three or four minutes of like a little vignette. Because most of what Thomas was was three to four minute vignettes. They were very short, they were very brief. But that's another element of this, I think. When it comes to children's entertainment of the modern era, every children's show is being designed in that the kids have some form of ADD and they're being pumped full of Ritalin. Sure. Every everything now is designed like that, and I get it. Part yeah, of that's just the culture makes we me, live in. Makes me think of um our Sophia the first part of that discussion, the a, a more current kids thing that we did, where that's kind of where animation for children lies today. Um, and you know, even I'm I'm not going to deny that that's to some extent what the beginning of Adventure Time was. It was very much just like crazy, crazy, crazy for eleven minutes, and then it's over. Yeah, and I think with Thomas, and yes, it was made in an era where that wasn't such a thing. But it is very, think about it, it's three to four minutes, yet they're able to tell an entire story in that short span of time, and it never feels like it's out of breath. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's very condensed storytelling, and at the time of making this, that was more or less unparalleled. Uh, Yeah, especially because, I I don't know, I don't think we said it, but it is um, interesting to note that all of these stories are told through these still images from one narrator. And that is very unique. Um, I would know, I know for sure for today that doesn't happen, but uh, I would imagine, you know, that's not something anybody creating a, a show or, you know, mass media would ever want to do. They would need that variety, but this is all really just, you know, resting on the backs of, of, of handful of people. And usually one person when you actually get to the episode. Yeah. And I think that's the things that like, there's a sort of kinetic energy in this show that you can't get from the modern incarnation of Thomas or just, again, all children's entertainment now is done on a computer. Nothing mm-hmm. is done physically anymore. Everything has to be done on the computer because it's just, 
that's the thing that bothers me about like just the entertainment industry is that like back in the early 2000s where like they were starting to shift things from like hand-drawn animation to digital and they're like well it's not our fault that's what audiences want and it's like (laughs) no it's cheaper it's cheaper that's it's not a matter of style it's just cheaper just call it what it is don't don't hide don't hide around it but it's it's the notion of you watch a lot of this and I think the reason why, too, is that a lot of kids, um, toy trains have been popular with kids forever. The idea of just whether you have a Thomas the Tank Engine diecast toy or you have a Lionel train set, there's something that kids just love about just that kinetic energy of something of wheels on a track, mm-hmm. something that cars can't lift, something that has a very, oh God, defined route it has to go on this there's something kind of like subconsciously very enamoring about that especially when you're a child even to this day a lot of grown men have train sets and it's not considered weird it's it's a hobby yeah Most i'm glad you have a train department exactly i'm glad you bring that up because i wanted to see if i'm remembering this correctly wasn't this a segment on the soup back in the day i love toy trains or something like that <laughs> where they would go to that someone had some like cut Local access cut. train show or something like that. <laughs> I uh, vaguely I remember that, but yes, the toy train. Yeah, there was something like that. Now that now you jog my memory. Yeah, I think the segment was like Joe McHale would introduce it, and the screen there would be like an explosion effect, and the words would come up, and it would say like "I fucking love toy trains," and then the clip would be like oh one old dude in a very monotone voice talking about <laughs> toy trains. On this week's "I Love Toy Trains." <laughs> We got to see that toy train designers have awesome special effects and some rather dark thoughts. In 1990, Lionel modified the tower to create the 12768 burning switch tower. It is the same building, now in two-tone brown with scorch marks. The figures are new molds painted and named Charles and Hector. (laughs) Charles runs up and down the stairs carrying a bucket of water while Hector runs in and out of the building in a frenzied manner. Yeah, um, yeah, trains, for some reason, you know, a lot of people love them, and they're interesting, definitely. Um, I know even out here, you know, in, in this part of the country, like Colorado, Wyoming, there's some places you can go, like parks, where they have old locomotives decommissioned just, like, kind of on display for you to see. And people go see them. It, it's, it's, it's an interest of humanity. Yeah, because even because again, I, I'm sorry, everybody, if I'm pinballing, because that's going to happen. This is this is kind of in the, in the Zach pantheon of episode discussions. This is a real scary story. <laughs> this isn't a teens. Um, it, it's going to be all over the place because it's something that I, I, I we can record a four hour episode on this, and I'll still be like, Rob, we forgot, we forgot <laughs> yeah. to mention blank. Um, because part of the reason why I became enamored with Thomas, it wasn't just simply the the thing of okay, you watch the show. And then you can go buy the toys you can bring it home with you. It mm-hmm. wasn't just that like Star Wars phenomenon of like you can live the adventures at home. That certainly is a major component of it. And, to, and part of the reason why I think it resonates with people, or I'm sorry, how it resonates with children to this day. But the reason why I think it resonates with me is that Thomas kind of had this unfolding. And that I'm, I want to say probably my first interaction with Thomas had to be on Shining Time Station. Which was the PBS show into how uh, Thomas was really introduced to U.S. American audiences, because Shining Time Station took place around a a train station, mm-hmm. and you'd have Mister Conductor there, who was played sometimes by Mister um, 
by Ringo Starr, and other times by George Carlin, depending on how what season it was. And you have all these stupid stories about the kids doing stuff. You had Billy Two Feathers, who was the train conductor. And then, like, every once in a while, Mr. Conductor would show up and say, oh, my friend Thomas has a very similar plight to what you're currently going through. And they'd play one or two Thomas segments throughout the whole program. Oh, okay. And that's how American audiences were introduced to Thomas as in the train was through the the book. Oh, God. Well, uh, sandwiched in between Shining Time Station is a show and Shining mm-hmm. Time ran on PBS. And I think it would show up on um, Nick Jr. sometimes as well okay. back uh, in like later, later years. And but part of it was Shining Time Station was how I was probably introduced to Thomas. And then what you do is you see that you go by the videotapes and the videotapes obviously were just. The train segments, they were not the other nonsense, even though the, mm-hmm. the Shining Time was available too on VHS. I just never cared about that. And then, like we were saying, you go out and buy the toys. But back in the day, most Toys R Us's, KB toys, I don't think either one of those, they didn't carry the Thomas stuff. Okay. So if you want Thomas merchandise, again, this is in the very, very distant past of no internet, so you can just go on Amazon <laughs> and buy stuff. You had to find a train store near you. Mm-hmm. And it, it absolutely pains me to even think about this because of what eventually happened to it. But where I lived in Florida, it was about, God, it had to be at least a 25-minute drive away. There was a place called Frank's Trains, and I still have their magnet on my refrigerator with their phone number. Nice. And like Rob said, they were, they were not just um, a train store. They were also a hobby shop. But the thing about those is they had this giant building. Giant, and it like maybe it's just my memory that makes it giant. Maybe it wasn't that big after all. But I think it, even now that I think about it, it, had to be pretty big. And like they had row, it had aisles upon aisles of Lionel, all your different like gauges when it came to um, uh, model trains. Mm-hmm. And then they had aisles upon aisles of Thomas stuff. On top of, they also had like you could get like pretty much you had any any put together model you want. They had that too. I remember my nephew once got the model of the the alien from Independence Day. Oh, like they had they had everything there. It wasn't just like a small model; it was like this giant model. And I can still remember getting mad at my mother buying it for him because I think it was like thirty dollars. It was like <laughs> it was a model. It was no, it was a model you had to like put together. You had to get like glue and you had to paint it. Yeah, I remember telling her, being like, "He's not going to do this. Like, he's going to literally open the box." Again, this is me at like nine years old yeah. and i'm telling her i'm like he's not gonna play with this he's you're aware this takes effort right <laughs> yeah his, pa- his parents they didn't have they didn't have patience they didn't know what that word meant and i'm like there's no way they're gonna put this together I'm like it's literally he's gonna open the box because the i can still see the box to this day it was the coolest box in the world back when they actually used to put effort into packaging and i'm like he's just not and that's what happened he literally opened it and, and if anybody's ever put a model together before you know like the little like uh Little like they have all the pieces and it's like in the plastic. You have to like snap mm-hmm. them off, and that's what he opened. He got literally like fifteen sheets of plastic with all these little knobbies on it, and it's like and it just sat there and probably got thrown out one day. And that's, <laughs> this isn't that, that, an alien. <laughs> well, exactly. I'm, I'm sorry that that that's neither here nor there, but it's it's the idea. That, like this place had everything, and the best part of it was that in the back of the store. Like Rob said, they had this giant, huge, again, I don't know how huge it was, but a toy, uh, a Lionel train just set up. 
mm-hmm. where you could push certain buttons and the trains would go around. Like you, you could push buttons and the gates would go up and down. And like there were so many buttons. Like, I mean, like literally the entire, like almost the entire length of the place ran. Probably two thirds of the entire building was this giant train set. It was huge. You couldn't see half of it because it was against the wall. And it was truly the definition of Nirvana for, for somebody who loved toy trains in Thomas. You like, re- I used to love going there. Like, you used to be, can we go to Frank's trains? And we, cause it was so far away. We didn't go there as much. And there was even another place that was like 45 minutes away called, um, H and R trains. They might still be in business, I think. And they were the ultimate Holy grail. Cause they had like the Thomas stuff of like the actual, like motorized where like you put it on the tracks and you could like, like a Lionel train, but it was mm-hmm. Thomas. Nice. And that was the, that was the mind blowing stuff. I was like, Oh, and I, to this day, that's like on my bucket list. I want to buy that set so badly <laughs> of, of, of like original Thomas. But, um, I think that was the thing that kind of made this so magical. It was the idea before I got into star Wars that like you could watch the show and then go and bring the adventures of Thomas and friends home with you. Yeah. Yeah. Those things are awesome. Yeah. And I think that's, that was kind of and the fact that like you look at Thomas, the tank engine, the show, and it does have such a visceral lived in feeling to it. Like it doesn't, like, even though it's live action models, it feels like a real world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. At no point while I was watching this, and I know I think we've talked about it a couple of times on Cinema Oddies, like years later, you go back to something that you had some sort of nostalgic affinity for, and you're like, eh, eh. Yep. I think the, like, the best example we've discussed, um, the thing that comes to mind at least, is the Amanda show, that that was a nightmare watching that when you're not a child. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think looking at this, and yes, I, uh, Amanda show and Thomas are two two very separate things. Amanda show is clearly designed <laughs> for the ADD Ritalin age. Apples to oranges, a hundred percent. Oh yeah. But as I was watching this though, and this is kind of again, like going back to my thesis is that why would you want to strip the soul out of this? Like Rob said, yes. Is this making Thomas with live action models? Is it more expensive than making it in a computer? Yes. Hmm. But you you have something that's genuinely, and I know I throw this term around a lot, but it's inimitable. Sure, you have some you have a, a form of children's entertainment that genuinely cannot be duplicated, and then you just say, "Nope, we're going to make it CG. We're going to make it like everything else." And it's another word that Rob and I like to use on here: homogenization. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. You know, it's because it's not it's it's kind of like almost everything went to the CGI, the cheaper routes. And, you know, Thomas, the tank engine just kind of fell into that because I don't know, maybe I I really don't know. You would know better if you've done the research, but it's kind of like they felt they needed to or they were commanded to in some way to keep up with the times. But but you're right. It's not the best thing for this property. No, I think and again, it's. It's okay. This is the part of my brain where I have, I have my Zach brain that loves Thomas, and I have to reconcile that as Zach, the marketer who understands how business works. Mm-hmm. Because by the time they transitioned from the live action stuff to the CGI, was about 10 to 12 years ago, give or take. Okay. And so by the time that's happening, you have to get a new generation hooked on it. And if it's the live action stuff, kids are going to see that as old and tired. So you need to do something to spice it up. And sure. in my in my research from this, going back to the steaming to legacy 
docu-series on YouTube. They did try to have the models, and they put animated CG faces on them. Oh, to make them more expressive, that type yes. of thing, rather than just the eyes moving? Okay. Yes. And it's it's not as jarring as it sounds, and this is one... And I know why they did this, because the complaint with Thomas... Pretty much ever since I was able to read YouTube, not YouTube, internet comments about the series was that you have all these mindless people on the internet, which I know that's kind of redundant, mindless and internet in the same sentence. (laughs) But all these people, all they do is complain about the creepy faces. Really? Yes. I some of it, some of the faces were definitely a little creepy to me, but, you know, nowhere near. Well. The thing I think of, you know, for creepiness in, in cinematities is the Dark Crystal, but that's more of my personal phobias than anything. But uh, the faces in Thomas the Tank Engine never really struck me as creepy overall. I think there were just a few that got put into weird, contorted emotions that, of course, was limited by the animation that made it seem creepy. But that's interesting because I, I haven't really heard a lot. And, you know, I don't talk to anybody about Thomas or like look on those those uh, sources on the Internet, but I haven't heard a lot about that. But you're saying that that's kind of what its mainstay is today is yeah. people just like, oh, uh, my God, it's nightmare fuel. Um, I wouldn't say nightmare fuel. I don't think it's to that level. OK, and to be fair, I have not read this in a while. I think most of the people that were complaining about Thomas 10 years ago, just they, they don't they don't think of it anymore. These days. There's no point. Oh, it doesn't sure. really. In, in, Thomas doesn't exist anymore in the incarnation. I love it. It, it just doesn't. Yeah. Like, yes, and by doesn't exist, I don't mean that in the way of like lost media. Because I, I should point out that uh, I think it was three or four years ago. I know somebody on YouTube. They're they're all their they're the ones in the playlist I linked to. They upconverted all the episodes to HD. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, this is really neat. Like I'm seeing Thomas like in a way like. Prior to that, I literally have my box filled with v- my VHS copies. And anytime I got nostalgic, I would take one of those out, put it in the the DVD VCR player, and I would watch that because I loved I loved the the intro by the company that produced the uh, the VHS the those tapes. Mm-hmm. That was just part of the whole experience for me. And so I never really thought of a way of watching these outside of that. And then I'd say maybe about a year ago, the same person, or maybe somebody else, I'm not entirely sure. Um, Updated everything into 4K resolution. Ooh. And I pretty much had a um an epiphany. Okay. Like it it felt like the second coming of Christ. <laughs> I, I I've seen Thomas in detail that I never thought was humanly possible. Sure. And in like most things, I think we've talked about before where certain things are not intended for that super duper in focus HD treatment. Yeah, And yet with Thomas, I think it enhanced it. I think it made me appreciate the craftsmanship of everything going into the show. I was seeing details that like much like a uh, silent night, deadly night part two, I was no longer watching my grainy VHS copy that had been watched dozens upon dozens of times. Mm-hmm. I was watching a super crisp in focus HD where everything was there for me to look at. And I'm like, wow, I'm like, this is perfect. But getting back to what you're saying about the creepy faces, I think the people who don't like that were just, it's just, they don't think again, it's the mindlessness of the internet. It's creepy because I'm an adult and this is a thing made for babies. Sure. It's, it's creepy in the same way that the original Muppet show is creepy to these people. It's, Oh, I'm too old for this. And I'm just going to dismiss it because I'm not a baby anymore. Gotcha. Yeah. And we see that all too much these days. And it, it is unfortunate because it's kind of like, it's almost uh, become, 
something that you're expected to respond to in that way rather than actually think about this stuff. Because like you said, they believe it's not for them and they can brush it off and give it that just, you know, blurb and then they're done with it. Yeah, I think the last time I heard that narrative about the creepy faces goes back to like probably a Watch Mojo video from three or four or five years ago. <laughs> okay. Where it was like one of those things where like the top 10 like like 80s kid shows. Mm-hmm. I think I clicked on it to see where, if Thomas would be ranked. I think he was ranked maybe like, oh, like, what they, the problem though is like when they make those lists, they don't pick what's, what was popular at the time. They pick what people now think was popular at the time. Oh, okay. It, it, it's a it's a hindsight list. It's not a yeah. oh, this thing sold the most amount of VHS copies. This thing was the thing that got the most attention. Because again, eighties children's entertainment, especially Thomas, that was kind of at the forefront of that. This is before Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. This is before other things of that era, and. I think, but one of the complaints for Thomas was on Watch Mojo. It was like, oh, this show was groundbreaking. It did all these things, though. But, like, like we can't just get past the creepy faces. That's so strange. That just is so weird to me. <laughs> and the thing about those, like, I will concede, because I have my own little personal antidote about the quote-unquote creepy faces. But when they say creepy faces, they're not just talking about, like Rob said, some of the more... Oh god! How'd you how'd you describe it, Rob? Much more embellished features. Yeah, yeah. It looks like with the whatever they were making these out of, I would imagine clay or sculpted in some way. It seems like you know, there's a few shots where I look at it and it's like I can tell what emotion they're going for in the face, but you know that I think that's just you know what humans do is that whenever we see emotions in faces, we see them in real time. We can't. It's very difficult for a lot of people to look at just one solid image of a face and get exactly the emotion. Thomas pulls it off sometimes, but a lot of it, I think, is like, oh, that's just weird because they're, they've almost contorted the face while going for some sense of emotion. And the best example, the ones that were creepiest to me were um, like the train cars or like the freight cars that would hold stuff in these episodes we watched. They're the ones that are always playing tricks on the trains and being like, you know, little troublemakers. And those faces look like um, uh, the tragedy and comedy masks. Yes. Like they're embellished to the nth degree. And then it's like, whoa, that, that's a little frightening. Yeah, and I think like, going back to more of the trains, because when people complain, they're talking about all of it. They're not talk- I, I will, again, getting to my antidote in a moment, the, fr- the, the trucks and the freight cars are the more, the more peculiar looking ones. Yes. But when it comes to the trains, all of, like Rob said, they're deliberately being crafted their their face plates because they're trying to do exaggerated emotions mm-hmm. because they have such a short span of time to work with within the narrative of the story. They have to have the faces be so exaggerated and expressive that the moment you look at it, you can't you can't there can't be any debate as to what the emotion is going on in that moment. Yeah, and it, it gets they have to tie it in perfectly where they need to make it expressive enough in that still image that the audience gets it, and then when it's backed up by the narrator, boom, it's like that that two seconds is done. It's done its job in terms of storytelling. Yeah. But again, getting back to the freight cars that uh I think I mentioned it on our real scary stories episode that I the the infamous VHS tape I still have of that, which I recorded the episodes on. I used to hide that in the kitchen drawer. I think <laughs> yes. I mentioned that story. <laughs> yeah. Before much like I've said, Thomas is the foundation for a lot of the things I would do later in life. Before the VHS tape in the kitchen drawer, I had one of the wooden I had all the wooden stuff back in the day, but I had one of the freight cars. <laughs> As the wooden 
oh god, what do you call the wooden incarnation? And I was so afraid of the face, I used to keep it in the kitchen drawer because I did not because I didn't want it with the rest of the ones. I, I had to be partitioned away from the rest of the of the, the trains. And I I can still remember at one point when we were when we were still living in Florida, my mother taking it out of the drawer, being like, "Why is this here?" And young Zach is like, "Train segregation, train segregation." <laughs> And then his mom's like, something's not right with this kid. Okay. <laughs> Little does Rob know this conversation probably happened sometime when I was 11, but um, <laughs> we're not going to talk about that. Okay. Okay. Um, so, so to correct it, it's then Zach's mom is like, okay, I've been telling you for years, something's wrong with this kid. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And we still have that conversation just a few hours ago. Um, uh, but no, so like, no, like some of the faces are exaggerated. That was the only instance that I ever was afraid of Thomas. I was never, and it wasn't afraid, like in the same way, like real scary stories scared me or a racer had scared me. It was just like, it upset me. And yeah. I just like any kid did, you, you, you locked it away in the closet, not to have to look at it. In this case, the closet being a kitchen drawer. Like mm-hmm. I said, the kitchen drawer being the furthest thing away from my room at the time. Sure. And um, but no, so like I, I get some of the complaints about like the freight cars, maybe, but to write off the entire series f- for that one specific reason of the face plates are a little unsettling. Again, you're throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Definitely. Because there's even like, again, there are some moments I want to highlight in this. And I, I have like my overall bullet points that I just kind of want to read through, or else I feel like I didn't do my due diligence. Like, you do have. Like like Rob said, I think Rob said a couple of times though, like he says like static shot or just mm-hmm. like the flat image. But if you watch a lot of this, and I think it's not until even this recording night or this rewatch, I mean, I picked up on this, is that a lot of the times the camera is moving with the action. Okay. And I'm not even talking about like shots where the trains are moving. Like there'll be shots where they'll be like like one like the trains will be kind of huddled around the sheds and one will be kind of coming in to join the others as the actions in prom in progress. And the camera will actually move along with that. Yeah, I, I think the one that stands out to me, I believe it's the uh, a cow on the line episode where we basically get a shot, like a tracking shot following the railway through a ravine or something. And it's it's really neat. Like I said before, it's like you're living in that miniature. Okay, I'm glad Rob brought that up because that is one of the things I have highlighted. And we're going to have to insert this this clip a couple of times in here. But how great was it hearing Ringo Starr say, <laughs> Moo! Moo! He moved slowly onto the bridge, but the cow wouldn't shoo. She had lost her calf and felt lonely. Moo! She said sadly. Everyone tried to send her away, but she wouldn't go. Henry arrived. What's this? A cow? I'll soon settle her. Be off, be off. Moo, said the cow. Henry backed away nervously. I don't want to hurt her. Oh, oh my God. It was absolutely amazing. That is exactly one of my notes uh, on that, where uh, I wrote verbatim, Ringo Starr narrating the cow's moos is hilarious. That was, oh, it's delightful. It's nothing short of delightful hearing that. He does it a couple times. Yeah, and I think there's one where even he does, he's like, 
and like she, the cow goes moo very sadly, and it's just hilarious that he's he's doing and he's emoting with this moo. Oh, it's it's great. <laughs> and I think again, that's one of those like small touches. That your little like four year old brain doesn't realize, like you, you don't consciously pick up on it because obviously four year olds aren't attuned to that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But like subconsciously, the cow is on the middle of the railroad tracks. The trains are trying to whoosh it away with steam, yep. and the cow just goes moo. And you get it's that sort of inflection <laughs> that you get with a voice like, like a oh god, someone that has god how many decades of voice talent mm-hmm. of Rick, Ringo Starr. Oh, oh yeah, it's it's great. And and while while we're here, I don't know if if this is the right place to put it, Zach. I don't even know if this is a hot take. Ringo Starr is infinitely better than George Carlin as the narrator. I felt infinitely better. Like I was I was upset when I got to the George Carlin episodes at first. I I okay. I don't disagree with that entirely. Okay. I think what it is is that like like when they got Ringo Starr. And I think from what I've from what I watched in that YouTube series, Ringo Starr kind of had to be pushed into this. Like mm. when he first got pitched on the idea, he was like, "Eh, eh." It's like, do I really want to do this? Because it, yeah. it was like, there really wasn't anything quite like this. Like you're doing it, you're you're narrating a children's show about a book series that had been popular in Great Britain for decades. But like he didn't really. It was kind of like he had to be pushed into it eventually. And he's always had like, every time he's been interviewed about it over the years, he has nothing but positive things to say about it. Okay. And but the thing about this, I think he got tired after the first two series. I was like, okay, I, I've done this. Been been here, done that. It's not my cup of tea. And plus, he probably wanted more money too. I would imagine. Yeah, he can only and, move so many times. <laughs> only so many times. And I think the clever thing, I think they eventually lost that with the narrators for Thomas, is that they tried going for different people. Because I think, how do you replace Ringo Starr? Exactly. Like that's that's what. How do you replace a goddamn Beatle, especially one with such a distinguished voice as Ringo, goddamn freaking star? Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, so how do you do that then? Because I, I'm pretty sure George Carlin was only in the U.S. At, at that point, Thomas was established, and okay. I know they they had different narrators for Britain versus the U.S. But speaking solely to the U.S. ones, because the, the British narrators are all like, other than Ringo, the British narrators are awful. I have no idea how the Brits ever enjoyed this. Um, after Ringo Starr, I've tried watching some of the, the, the seasons three, four, five with, with the British narration and the British narrators don't know how to inflect. They just don't. Mm-hmm. It's just like, like, like you can go look them up on YouTube and maybe we'll play a clip of them here. But like, even like you juxtapose like George Carlin with the British narrator that replaced Ringo. And it's like, you might not like George Carlin, but it's, he, at least he's trying. Like he's, he's wholeheartedly trying. Yeah. Yeah, and the other yeah, one, def- the British one, like every character sounds the same. There's no inflection. Every it's as if somebody's. It's imagine a British person going through the drive-through. That's what it is. <laughs> okay. Later, Trevor was resting in the orchard shed when Bertie rolled by. Hello, Trevor. Why are you dozing there like an old stick in the mud? I'm not dozing. I'm resting. Replied Trevor. And that's what eventually happened. After George Carlin, because after George Carlin retired, or I don't know how that worked, I don't know whether he left or they wanted to change, anyone's mm-hmm. guess, they got Alec Baldwin. That and, threw me for a loop when I got to those two yeah. episodes in season five. I was like, wait, wait, what? Uh, especially 
because I, I guess this is the point to put this. Um, I didn't watch all these episodes in one sitting. I definitely like kind of what would watch a chunk and then do something else, watch another chunk. But I had two episodes left, which are the only two with Alec Baldwin um, for today, the earlier in the day of this recording. And what I, I ended up watching them um, in the classroom I teach in before my students came in. And so I watched it on a projector screen, like with a great oh. audio system, because I was like, oh, I'm going to get George Carlin's voice. I'm going to have a huge screen, this great quality. It's going to be awesome. And then I'm like, is this fucking Alec Baldwin? <laughs> <laughs> and the episodes are about what are those? The episodes where the dude's stuck in the shed for a thousand years no, or something. No, 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 no that's no. the um, the Boulder one and the uh, the second the ghost, ghost story the one. Yeah, yeah. Second yeah the Alec Baldwin ones like that's when I really started to get the feeling like when I was younger I'm like and the reason why I did Alec Baldwin was because he was in the movie he was Mr. Conductor yeah and I just like at that point it was like I, I did I have a couple of I think the DVD I have like one or two DVDs after that point and it's just like even though it's sad to say that compared to what they would go on to do in later seasons at least Alec Baldwin was trying. Not to say anything. It's like, even though each narrator <laughs> is worse, at least they were trying more than the one that would follow. Sure. And that's like, that's the weird thing. I don't know whether it's an issue of money. Cause I know at one point they were going to have Pierce Brosnan, but I don't think they ever, I know he recorded stuff. But I don't know how far it got released. Okay. And he, I did I remember, see that as well. And uh, I only looked at it briefly, but I think I read that he was the narrator for a movie in 2008. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He was supposed to do more, but I think they shelved it or whatever reason. I remember mm-hmm. when they announced Pierce Brosnan, I'm like, oh, wow, they're actually going back to like somebody with like a unique voice. It's not yeah. just like somebody who's just like narrating it, reading the phone book. And I, I it wasn't until recently that I eventually heard his narration. And the problem is that Pierce Brosnan can do one voice. He can't throw his voice at all. Oh, and okay. so it's just it's James Bond essentially reading train dialogue and it's like <laughs> i guess it's it's better than just bored british man but th- sure. th- now now it's just a bored suave british man doing it that is a hilarious sentence to hear james uh-huh. bond reading train dialogue <laughs> that's, that's great <laughs> that i'm not wrong i'm not no, wrong. no that's awesome <laughs> but but no something that's like again going back to um kind of like my highlights of this and but like going to George Carlin doing this is that like I know it's been like especially George Carlin being the prolific stand-up comedian that he was prior to that to Mr. Conductor. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, he's always he was always asked, like, why'd you do this? And he always wanted to be an actor. George Carlin has made that very clear. He always wanted to be an actor, except for the fact that he couldn't act. So anytime he was offered a role that he felt he could do properly, um, he always took it. And he and he said he took the Thomas role or narration along with mr conductor was that he wanted to do something that was against type for him sure he he loved the idea of doing like he's known for being this kind of like raunchy not raunchy but at the time he well the seven dirty words he was the og Mm -hmm. raunchy comedian and he wanted to do something against type and and i think it does work so even though i I, of course the first two series being ringo will always be my favorite because i know they there's there's george carlin dubs of the first two seasons and i can't watch those like the very first episode of the series is um what's it called thomas gets tricked where he does the whole thing where gordon drags him drags him after playing the waking him up and kind of uh startling him and Mm -hmm. i've tried watching that with the george carlin narration and it's like uh nails on a chalkboard it's mm-hmm. like no, like like Thomas should always be into like if you ever show like it should be a law 
Like, it should be a law. If you ever introduce a child to Thomas, it has to be the first segment of Ringo Starr and Thomas being there. And it's like, this is Thomas. He has a stumpy little blue boiler and he has six blue wheels and he has his little eyes go around and around. Like that, if you introduce a child to Thomas, that yeah. has to be the first segment. It has oh, to be. Yeah. It's like, Especially with the dialogue and it being, you know, from Britain and, you know, just hearing, you know, you need Ringo Starr to be like, oh, Thomas is being cheeky again. Like, that's not going to work if someone else says that stuff. It's, it's like it was made for. Thomas is a tank engine who lives at a big station on the island of Sodor. He's a cheeky little engine with six small wheels, a short stumpy funnel, a short stumpy boiler and a short stumpy dome. He's a fussy little engine too, always pulling coaches about ready for the big engines to take on long journeys. And when trains come in, he pulls the empty coaches away so that the big engines can go and rest. Thomas thinks no engine works as hard as he does. He loves playing tricks on them, including Gordon, the biggest and proudest engine of all. Thomas likes whistling rudely at him. Wake up, lazy bones. Why don't you work hard like me? It is. It's, it's magic almost. Like, I know like, a, like one of those things you read a lot. It's like, oh, the first time like I heard the Beatles was a magical experience. I do think like watching that, like it, it, it is one of those truly magical moments for me. Like that is the beginning of this beautiful thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Thomas the Tank Engine, you have, and you have Ringo freaking Starr introducing this character that, again, had been around for decades prior, and it really was a rebirth of of the character. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, so like, just going to some more of my highlights before we delve into like some things I have like on episodes, like certain like uh, segments. Sure. Is that like, like I said, even some of the mute. Like, I know Rob obviously being the music person between the two of us, but just. Every apparently all the music for this show was like done on a Casio. Yes, and you can you can kind of tell that it's very minimalistic, but it fits once again so perfectly. The score was great. But the thing I love about the score, again, I haven't picked up on this until just recently, is that like every train has their own theme. Mm-hmm. And yet depending on what the train is experiencing in the moment, whether it be like elation, sadness, like questioning, the theme will morph along with the emotions that are currently going on in the scene. Yes, they the whoever scored this, I didn't do research that far to figure out, but they understand um, you know, if they if they score something and it's in a certain key, they can switch to major minor to convey that emotion. It's it's you know, they had a someone who understands music and sound doing it, which is just add that layer of depth to it which is necessary. And uh, necessary in any media, I would say something that we don't get as much of today, but it, it makes it work on a whole nother level that you might not realize consciously, at least. And that's that's kind of the point here is like you watch the current iteration of Thomas, and it's just there's there's background music, but it's something somebody composed in like Garage Band. Yes, it's just, it's yeah. just background noise. It's not. It's it's one step above elevator music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And. Oh, yeah, that's a big issue I have with a lot of current, you know, not so much kid stuff because I don't follow it, but like TV shows. It's just like nothing ever seems to fit these days. You know, it all it all seems like it's been they're taking music that's been canned or reproduced to be modeled after something that was successful and then just thrown in because they think it'll sound good. There's there's no more of that kind of connection between the music and the actual content anymore. 
And I think that's the brilliance of this too. Like we were saying with the just condensed efficient storytelling here is that like you can have efficient storytelling, but it doesn't have to be so hyper paced Mm -hmm. because you can have something like this where it takes its time, but you have the narration that's telling the story. You have the characters faces that are telling the story. You have the action that's telling the story. You have the soundtrack that's telling the story and you have all these things that just weave together perfectly to a point where everything's firing on all cylinders. Yep. And you're telling again. It's it's the it's guy. It's the epitome of of storytelling that everything is working in a unified sense to communicate what the message of the story is. It's and I think that's the thing too about Thomas, especially the first two seasons, is that it doesn't feel like a glorified advertisement to buy stuff. Yes, it doesn't feel like like the advertisement, like the cash grab or anything like that. It feels sincere. Because even going to the last segment Rob had to watch with the boulder, uh, Thumper, whose job is to thump boulders, mm-hmm. I have that somewhere. I have a Thumper toy. Nice. And the only reason why Thumper was put into the show was to sell more toys. Oh, okay, okay. So in those later seasons, they were going down that route. Okay. They were they were just creating characters. And I get it. Like you want to inter- you want to flesh the world out more. I'm not going to argue that. You also don't want to make things stale, but they were just introducing characters to the point now where, like, I like I was on the Thomas Wikia, and like they have like the thing where you just click it, it brings up like random articles, and there's so many characters now where it's like you can't even when I was, it's kind of like Thomas is kind of always my equivalent of Pokemon, where it's like I know now they're up to almost a thousand Pokemon, (laughs) but but with Thomas, like I remember, like, because you had your core characters, you had Thomas, Edward, Henry. Uh, the Gordon, James, Percy, Toby, Duck, uh, Donald Douglas, and you kind of like after that you lost track. Sure. You know, I know a bunch of the characters. Like you'd sit there have Oliver, you'd have Rusty, and then they started doing. I'm um, the well, Rusty came later, but you had like some of those characters that were more outside the realm of things. And then series four is when they started doing the other the other railway where you got your Rusty, your Peter Sam, Sir Handel, Duncan, Scarloe, Reneus, um, Stepney. And even though Reneus I, I, threw me for a loop, I was like, Reneus, that's that's a name and a half right there. Yeah. <laughs> you could all Reneus. Um but I had all I had all those characters, both as the die cast and the wooden trains mm-hmm. and but like after a while they would also start to introduce because the book series had characters that they never adapted into the show which was weird oh interesting it seems like with how long this has been going on they would have tried to draw uh, get that well dry absolutely well they might have by now done it oh okay okay but by like 2000 like one two and three mm-hmm. i i don't think so because i i remember back because i never knew thomas was a book series like well i kind of did but it was always first and foremost a tv show yeah. i remember once back in the day like we're talking got to be like 99 2000 ish my mother we were at walmart and they had like one of those piles where it's like thomas collection like all the stories for like one low 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 price and my mother bought it she's like oh look that it's all the stories and it's like not that I didn't want it. It was Thomas. Like it, it was like anything else in life. It was like it had the name Thomas on it. I want it. <laughs> yeah. But I wasn't too thrilled about it because Thomas was the show. Thomas was something you watched on TV. It was not a book. And I never, even when I was younger, like I would like I never felt I never never wanted to read the book. Never had any okay. interest in it. Cause it just it wasn't 
the the form that I wanted Thomas in. And I think a lot of those drawings too, like the illustrations, I found I find them much more horrifying than the TV show. Mm, um, but but it's but like the, I think part of the reason why a bunch of the characters never got adapted to the TV show was because they were just too cost intensive. Okay. Because you had like some of them have really, really unique designs, and it's much easier to draw something that's wonky and then try to fabricate it and then conform it to the workings of a model train. Sure. But uh, no, I think I forget where we were going with all this. But um, uh, getting to the point, going back to the point though, is just kind of the, the music of it. Yes. Is you do like there's some moments in this where I think. I, I, I'm not sure if Rob remembers this, but when we were trying to play music over the background of our uh, Titanic Seeking the Miss interview. I'm like, Rob, I want like melancholy music in the background. And Rob's like, okay, I can look for that. And one of the things I sent him as to what I was going for was the music that plays when Henry is bricked up inside the tunnel and the camera is like at a far out shot. It slowly, slowly zooms in, and we have this very, very melancholy synth music. He was very sad because he thought no one would ever see his lovely green paint with red stripes again. As time went on, Edward and Gordon would often pass by. Edward would say, peep, peep, hello. And Gordon would say, poop, 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 serves you right. Poor Henry had no steam to answer. His fire had gone out. Sutton dirt from the tunnel had spoiled his lovely green paint and red stripes anyway. He wondered if he would ever be allowed to pull trains again. But I think he deserved his punishment. Don't you? I'm like, Rob, I think that 100% communicates the the vibe of the titanic discussion it has this kind of like melancholy electric music mm-hmm. and as like, to this day i not to this day like re-watching all this i think my favorite episode of the entire series is the henry henry's in the tunnel because i just love the the melancholy of that music at the end it's like it's hauntingly beautiful i i have to agree uh that actually is of the 27 i've seen that was my favorite one the sad story of henry um, not just for the music, I, I felt that was the message uh, of the tale that I could get behind the most. Um, yeah, I, I dug that episode for sure, where, you know, the uh, the train doesn't want to ruin his paint, so he doesn't come out of the tunnel. And then the people are like, okay, you get your wish, you're going to stay in the tunnel. And then he's like, but then nobody ever gets to see my paint. That's been like the longest running thing since I was a kid. I hate when people like buy stuff and then they don't use it because it might get damaged. And it's like... What the hell's the point of buying it then? <laughs> but I think, I guess, like the, like, and that's one thing too. Like, ev- pretty much all of these segments have some sort of moral to them, mm-hmm. but the moral never whacks you across the head. Sure. Yeah, exactly. But even like, I think this is the part where I'm kind of surprised there hasn't been a, like, I know nowadays it's the big thing people do. People go back and reanalyze things of their childhood and try to give it new context. It's kind of a shame that Thomas kind of went kind of went through this like three or four or five years ago oh, where okay. people start i think rob might have seen this in his research that about five years ago i think it might have been the guardian or some some entertainment outlet not it's funny i don't think it was a rag i think it was like more of an official outlet quote unquote and they were calling like how thomas is sexist how thomas is like, pr- like propagates the class system this is and- exactly what i wanted to ask you zach because sure. it is so I didn't. I didn't do a lot of research for this one, but when I was watching those uh, season one episodes, 
it was certainly clear to me that it's like, okay, all the trains are male, or at least have male names. You can't really tell by the voices because it's all Ringo. But when you do get female names, it's for the passenger cars. And it, it definitely gets that kind of implicit, like, you know, the females have to be carried by the men and their only purpose is to, like, birth people. And it's like, and that's exactly what I want to ask you. Have people see, uh, viewed it this way as maybe misogynistic? And that's not what the show's going for at all. You know, in the 80s, 84, you know, or maybe in the books, I don't know, the original material, all the tra uh, trains were male. So I don't think that's what the point of this is. But I'm interested now to hear that that's kind of the perspective some people took on this. That's crazy to me because, as we've talked about a bunch on this podcast, you know, that's just insane putting problems to old media where it doesn't belong. But it, it certainly stood out to me. Not stood out, but I noticed it when I thought about it, at least. Yeah, and I, and I don't think that label ever stuck in any sort of meaningful way. Okay. Because when this when that article was being passed around a few years ago, the, the, the CGI series was still... And, and, and to this day, it's still going strong. And by now, like they have so many female characters on the CGI show. So it's kind of yeah. like you're attacking something that's, I don't want to say course correct, because I don't think that's the right word, but for the sake of these wonky people that see the world on, in that sort of framework, mm -hmm. it, it course corrected. It's not, they, they fixed it, so to speak. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. like the people that get mad at the original Disney animated films for being all these things. And then when they do the, the remakes and live action, they fix all these problems. Like in the Beauty and the Beast movie, Belle is no longer just this smitten woman that cleans clothes in the town square. She's now an intellectual and academic. So yes. I, I don't get attacking something, but that's just people nowadays. Yeah, um, and I, I do have to point out while on that topic, the other thing that when in the episodes uh, Zach sent me and I watched, when you do get Mavis, the female train, yeah. she's just an uppity bitch for the whole four minutes. <laughs> but she eventually learns her lesson, though. Yeah, and they work that in there, and as with the point of the show, um, uh, it just kind of stood out to me that when we do get one, she's just like, I can do everything perfect the first time. And, you know, like you said, it's for the message more than it is for the portrayal of, of genders in any any way, shape, or form. Yeah, and I think this is kind of like to like it's kind of like what's happening now in the last couple of years with The Simpsons, where everybody's mad about Apu. Mm. And it's like, well, Apu is like a racial stereotype, and it's like, and, he, and, and it's a really bad one. I'm like, everybody in The Simpsons is an idiot. Everybody is an exaggeration of their yeah. real life counterpart. It's a character. And think, yeah, and I think that's what Thomas is too. That like nobody in Thomas, none of the characters are presented as perfect. They all have their their follies they all have their character quirks they all have problems and that's the whole point is that they overcome them yep, through, exactly. through just experience and talking to one another and that's the weird thing like yes yeah, some of the characters are kind of like bad with a capital bad one specific character because we're going to get into we're going to get into diesel in a moment because <laughs> diesel is the greatest character in thomas for a multitude of reasons um but no, but it's like getting back to uh, Henry in the tunnel and getting back to kind of like that final shot with the music in that episode. Is that like like the camera? This just goes back to the camera movement. Is that you have the the scene cuts and we have it's like we before that we have like oh but all the engines like pass by Henry in the tunnel they say hello like Edward passes by and to toots at him yep. and Gordon toots toots and goes serves you right which I think is hysterical. <laughs> um, the fact that you could really be kind of like you could be brass brash in, in children's entertainment and it wasn't frowned upon and then after uh, gordon goes by we cut to that really like long shot 
as we slowly zoom in. And like Rob said, you have this character, this this inanimate train model stuck in a tunnel. It's bricked up about halfway two-thirds, the point where the only part of the train you can really see is like his nose and above. Mm -hmm. And as the camera slowly pans in, you hear Ringo's narration kind of like wrapping things up for that segment. And you look at the way the character's eyes move back and forth. You, it's funny. It's an inanimate train model. Yet they're able to convey this kind of just sadness and melancholy and this, this, this despair. Yeah. And and it's it's all these, like we said, it's the music. It's the narration. It's the camera movement. And I've seen it a couple times, like on Twitter and stuff, people be like, like, uh, share that sequence being like, yo, our children, our childhood was messed up when this was the sort of stuff that we were being shown. And it's like, no, this is perfect. It's teaching you a lesson. It's the idea that like a segment A doesn't have to end on a happy note. That's the next segment that the follow-up does. But Mm -hmm. it's the idea that like not everything's going to be all hunky-dory and you have to learn a lesson and kind of improve yourself to earn that like getting back like your contentment with yourself. And I love that. Like, and again, I'm just kind of like every time I watch that final shot of Henry in the tunnel, it's just, it's mind blowing that you have all these things going on that work. And I think it works probably more now for me at 27 years old than it did when I was younger. Cause I was always aware of this segment. I actually had, (laughs) I had the tunnel and the little tunnel came with a little brick piece that you could put there. (laughs) So you could, you could lock Henry in the tunnel. Oh, geez, that's great. <laughs> and so, and, and fun fact, I always was losing the brick piece. The brick piece was always being lost. I can never keep track of it, but that that's that's just a little side note. Um, but no, I really think it's one of those things where it's like that that three minute segment alone, just it's everything the show is. And another part of this of Thomas, it doesn't get a lot of credit, is that for a show called Thomas the Tank Engine. He's not really the focal point of a lot of these segments. Yeah, not at all. Especially in what I watched. He's in only like a handful of episodes. They really just follow other characters and, you know, tell their their stories. And it it's it's unique. Uh, it's interesting and unique in the sense that, you know, they're building this world. Even though the name of it is based on one character, you're kind of getting everything around him more often than that main focal point. That's one thing, though, in the history for this was that the the original book series was called the Railway Series. It was ah, never okay. Thomas, sure. but they felt that when they were creating the show, they needed to focus on a very uh, a, a, some specific character to kind of Fair, focus yes. on. Something and he to latch was on to, yeah, sure, because he was number one. They thought why, and he was kind of he's the cutest. He's small. He's compact, and he and that's the thing about Thomas in this show is that like out of all the characters. He has the least amount of character. He really has like his personality, other than just like how Ringo describes him in the first episode. Mm-hmm. He he kind of has the least defined personality traits, and I think that's yeah. on purpose because he is the avatar of the the audience to put themselves in. Exactly. Another element to this show that's really profound in that there really wasn't anything like that. The idea of having to take one character. Of all these others and make him more like an empty vessel, not because you can't write him well, but because you know you have an audience that needs to have that sort of just placement into the world for the first time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is. It's great. Um, and especially going back to what you said about the emotion that's conveyed while I was watching this, kind of every time I would sit down and watch a different chunk of, of segments, I was like every single episode would end and I would be like, man, 
they got me to feel more emotion in four and a half minutes than the entirety of Mortal Engines. And that just blows me away. <laughs> I think I was thinking of Mortal Engines because they both got that, you know, um, engine aspect, you know, machinery uh, type of thing. I definitely sure. made that connection. But it was just like, like you said, the, the still image of or zooming in on the image of the train, just looking like defeated and full of dread. It, it, it works so well. It's, it's perfect. One shot of Thomas the Tank Engine has more emotion <laughs> than a $200 million two-hour film. Yep, yep. <laughs> Isn't that insane? Isn't that an yeah. insane thing that an inanimate model that can has no face articulation other than the ability to move its eyes is able to convey more sincerity than a blockbuster film with yep. every resource in the world behind it? Yeah, it blows me away. Blows me away. Insane. Insane. <laughs> but just one final thing I want to say about the um about the uh, Henry this the segment sure. was that apparently in 1953 the BBC tried to do a live broadcast with with models of this story. Ooh. It was the first live act, or actually, it was the first like not God. I think it's the first adaptation of Thomas or the Railway series. Okay, and it was an unmitigated disaster apparently. To the point where things kept going wrong during the broadcast. And at one point, one of the trains like went off the rails. And you could actually see a hand pick it up and put it back <laughs> on the tracks. <laughs> That's great. It's like the, the model train equivalent of the boom mic showing up. <laughs> essentially. Essentially. And it was so horrible, apparently, that the, uh, the Reverend W. Audrey, who was the mastermind behind Thomas, he kind of refused to ever have like any other, like, like television things with Thomas for decades because of how horrible it was. Okay. Okay, man, that, that'd be, that's an interesting idea. Like a live version of a Thomas, the tank engine model episode. That that's neat. I like that. And the problem is that it is part of lost media because back in the fifties, there was no such thing as VHS tapes or VCRs yeah. and like any sort of live broadcast. They just, it was it was done. It was a one and done. Yeah. It was never meant to be preserved, so we'll never be able to see. And I don't. And from what I've read over the years, because this is I've heard a story for a while now. Um, none of the models have even survived from from that. Ooh. I guess they were somebody just took them home, or they just probably got destroyed. So any any time travelers out there in the audience, you know, hit the big events of history. The I have a dream speech. Uh, maybe like um, you know, uh, what's another big event? Maybe uh, the assassination. Of yeah, Kennedy. yeah, and then go back and watch the BBC live Thomas broadcast. <laughs> June fourteenth, nineteen fifty three, folks. It's right there waiting for you. Oh God! Oh, that's that's good. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know that. That's that's a neat idea, and it just makes sense that it would go awry to some extent, right? Sure. Yeah, and apparently, like, I think there was, like, I think somebody found, like, a newspaper article from, the, like, the day afterwards being, like, ta like railway series disaster, like, or, like, ta like, railway series off the rails. Sure, yep. <laughs> like, one of those really kind of kitschy headlines. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I guess kind of, like, I, I think I've kind of hit most of my points in one way or another, mm. is that um, one thing I just, a couple other things I just want to bring up is, like, continuity, and I'm not sure because I, I I know this world inside out and backwards from this time frame, but there's a couple of times in this where something will happen in an earlier segment and they'll bring it back or reference it in a later episode. Like I know one sure. they're talking about James and they're talking about his incident with the tar, with the tar van. And I'm like, oh yeah, that happened like three or four segments ago. And it's weird that like, you know, 
era where everything now has that like continuity where you have to reference things that happened prior. Thomas the Tank Engine was like the OG. <laughs> like okay, like I think um when when Thomas goes down the mine shaft and he's talking about like he, like in the very beginning of that segment he's talking like to Annie and Clarabelle the the two coaches and he's like oh do you smell like water do you smell something musty and Gordon's there and Gordon's like nobody smelled anything until you showed up and he's like mm. it smells like ditch water and then like two or three segments earlier that was a big thing that Gordon fell into the ditch outside the sheds and then it's like, oh, that's neat. And they do that a lot in this. They, they reference things from previous segments, uh-huh. giving it that. So again, you're making the world connected. It's not just isolated little stories. It's not vignettes. They had a good script supervisor. <laughs> yeah, I think that's neat. And the fact that they all, and it's all chronological order. Yeah, yeah, that is that is cool. I dig that. Because I do want to kind of just, I'm not going to run through every single segment, but I'm just going to kind of pull out the things that just kind of like, um, uh, uh, click to me is it like in the very first episode when oh Thomas, i i have some oh, i have sorry, some sure. things to point out I, I i think that's the next sure. place to go of course is you know the the highlights of these different segments because some of them stood out to me made me think other things all that stuff um but as zach mentioned earlier you know we have to get to it i don't like that it's gotten this name but i guess i have to just accept it the beep boop trash cans. Oh, jeez. Oh, but here's geez. the thing. I think this actually fits in really well with this series, being unexpected love. Zach certainly expected me to have some sort of reaction. And as he said at the start, he was not lying. He did say to me, okay, Rob, you can't do this this episode. Uh, I, surprisingly, maybe, don't have an issue with it in this case. On a minor details, sure, there's some things. <laughs> but like Zach said, you know, it's like, how does this actually work? But... But when I really, when I started to watch this, I expected to be like, okay, this is going to be ridiculous. Like, sentient trains? Come on, what the hell? But as I was watching it, I, I started to realize that Thomas the Tank Engine, it's, it's not so much a plot device as it is the crux of the premise of this show. If there are not sentient machines in this universe, there is no show. It's just, you know, I don't know, education about the railway system in Britain or something like that. This is this is so tied. Sentient machinery is so tied to the nature of the show that I don't have an issue with it. And to get at what we were saying before about the consistency, that's another reason why I think it works for me is because they are consistent with it. To pick on the thing that does this the worst, Star Wars, it is a plot device. They want to make droids or they use droids as humanoid or humanistic or non-humanistic whenever it suits their needs. And it's not the crux of Star Wars. I, I Like I said many times, I hate the fact that droids are mass produced. They are something other beings control, but then they're given human emotions. Like they scream when they fall. If you're making droids to fight an army for you, you would never ever program them to do that. That is just the stupidest thing, and it, it makes absolutely no sense. Where here, there's almost this kind of implicit sense that in the Thomas the Tank Engine universe, anything that gets created gets life. Because I love the fact that all of the trains are sentient, the freight cars are sentient, the carriages are sentient. It's almost like they don't have the boulders sentient, you know? They don't have a choice. Humans in this existence don't have a choice on machines having emotions and feelings. And it doesn't play it both ways. And on a storytelling level, it works for me here, 100%. 
So I hope this makes you a little happy, Zach, that in this unexpected love series, we've unexpectedly find found artificial intelligence that makes me not happy, but okay with it. Well, that's one thing, because I kind of had to plan defense for this in case he did go off on the people <laughs> trash can rant. But like I know like when like the Reverend W. Audrey was uh interviewed about like this, he always kind of saw the trains. And like in their relationship to Sir Topham Hat, it was more like a relationship of God and his children. Sure. And that's kind of what it was. The idea that like, okay, that was kind of the the I don't want to say analogy, but that's how he kind of envisioned the relationship between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, that's like I said, there, there's some things that happen this where I don't want to call it continuity, but like the the rules of the world come and go, where it's like okay, they have the they have the uh, God the conductor. They have the engineer, the fire, the guy who shovels the, yep. the coal into the firebox. And it's like, oh, they have some control over the train. But other times the train has control over themselves. Sure, yeah. And and that certainly, um, you know, it's noticeable because they use it in a lot of – in a handful of the ones that I watched of these stories. But it it's uh, – that there is some sense of – this is notarized by both parties. You know, the trains know that the humans – have to coexist with them. The humans know that the trains have to coexist with them. Probably the thing that stood out to me the most with this, but there was, I don't remember which episode it was, but there was some segment where the, the Sir Topham Hat moves one of the trains to a different station or a different railway, and there's a quick bit of narration where the narrator says there were less trains to run the passengers, but the people were okay with it because they knew the train was learning a lesson. There were fewer trains, but the passengers didn't mind. They knew the three other engines were having a lesson. And that was pushing it a little bit for me, but it's still consistent because no no one would care. Anybody who has to get to work or wherever would be like, we don't give a damn about your trains. Just get me there. I'm paying for it. But once again, I think it's consistent. They know they both parties know that they have to coexist. And there is that sense of symbiosis. And it's really neat because... I think, you know, I was kind of expecting as I got further and further into this, and maybe it's a thing in the CGI episodes, I was expecting the trains to really, like, revolt. And I know that we get, like, they go on strike in one of these episodes, but I was really expecting more to be like, okay, you know, conflict. That's what good storytelling is, conflict. We need people to be mad at each other. And it never devolved into that, and I was really happy about it. Well, they they flirt with that a couple of times because there are yeah, there is they just touch on it, and that's why it's good. They never go full into like you know where if this was made in the modern day, if Thomas the Tank Engine was a new thing, it would be basically like Black Mirror for kids, and it would be all about the whole like you know we're trains, we need rights, we're better than people, and and it would be nonsense. And here they just touch upon it because it plays off that that coexistence, which is a natural thing, but it's never played to the max. It's more about the lessons. And I love that. Yeah. I, I couldn't even tell you what new Thomas is. I, I have no, I, I even like everyone's like, like years ago when that would be on TV. I would like stop on it. If it was like your channel surfing, I'd be sure. like, okay, what's going on? And a lot of times you, you it's so scattershot and what's trying to convey. Mm. It's like, I have, it's just stuff happening. I, like there's something happening. I just have no. I, I just it's not communicated well. It's not like yeah. And you watch you watch ten seconds of this, you can figure out what's going on almost immediately. You watch the the thirty minutes now the the new well, the in the sense of relative to this the new stuff and it's like I it's just it's just flashing colors. It's no it's no different <laughs> than anything else. It could be a commercial for cereal for all I know. 
Sure. Um, so yeah, Thomas the Tank Engine, very consistent with their sentient machinery. It's great. Star Wars thinks they can have it both ways. They can't. <laughs> Stupid. End of rant. That's it. That's my beat boot trash cans for this one. You picked a good one. We need we need more things like Thomas the Tank Engine these days, Zach. So beat boot trash cans okay as long as it's consistent. Yes. If it sets um, up rules and it follows those rules. Exactly. And if it, if it isn't contradictory to the point of the beat boot trash cans like in Star Wars, I, there is no defensible argument for why you would need robots to be able to get confused from other robots' orders or scream when they fall. This is going way back to the Clone Wars episode, but there is no <laughs> defensible argument why you would ever program that in things that you create. I don't like it. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the first instance of that in Star Wars, where they really started to make the the, the, char- the droid characters. And I'm not counting C-3PO and R2-D2, because they more they bickered than anything else. Yes. yes. Um, I, it has to be, because I'm thinking even like, I know C-3PO was always emotive, Sorry. but that's just how, but, but you can always explain that away in that like he'd been around for so long he just kind of adapted human traits and that's just maybe how he was he was met he was designed to be a protocol droid so he was designed to maybe mimic human emotion to make people feel more at ease with him yeah and in a sci-fi story a, a robot having that ability i totally makes sense no issue with that but you know, it's, the, the, it's a sci-fi topic but if you know robots being alive longer they learn more human nature or how to respond to humans and so they can pass the turing test no problem I, I guess the the first instance I can think of of in Star Wars, like and by say Star Wars, I mean like the movies. I'm not talking about ancillary media. Sure, is of of a non org. Uh, I guess it would be Return of the Jedi, where you have the one droid being tortured with the hot press, putting tw- putting put yeah. toward his feet. He starts screaming. I hate that. Even though that's my favorite Star Wars movie, I've always hated that. That has to be the first one, so you can't even blame the prequels. Yo, look look at that. <laughs> See, folks, Star Wars went all downhill after 1980. It's not always the prequels' fault. <laughs> it, it, had, it had three years, Star Wars, and it all went to hell. Um, <laughs> uh, but I guess I guess one thing I want to ask you, and this kind of, I guess, is tangential to uh, the B-Boot Trash Can argument, is that at numerous points in the episodes I gave you, this wasn't even my intent, was that you have James, Gordon, and Henry set up as the bullies. Oh yeah, there's yeah, there's always a little bit of teasing going on between the trains. And I think that's where the classism argument comes. Okay. Is that, like James, Henry, and Gordon are seen again. They're the tender engines. Mm-hmm. So even though Sir Topham Hat never places them on a higher plateau than than Thomas or Percy or Toby, they're for some reason they just by their words and their dialogue they they they're placed above everybody else. Sure, and I've always like kind of found that interesting. Is that like they were always presented as bullies in certain stories, yet they're non-adversarial in other ones. Mm, yeah, yeah, definitely. I definitely picked up on that. Definitely, you know, with the whole the tender engines and the the diesel engines kind of being at odds with each other to some extent. Um, I guess I kind of maybe not wrote it off would be the right phrase, but I kind of rationalized it maybe as. That's kind of just what I maybe to some extent expect from kids' media. You know, there's always been some sense of, you know, that that adversarialness, maybe not in kids' media causing it, but in some sense human nature. It's kind of like a hook where, you know, you can get behind 
it, it's kind of a conflict for kids. You know, it's simple. It's easy to follow. Like these trains are teasing that one. And then maybe the lesson's going to be that that's not always the best thing to do or something like that. I, I'm, I can't think of another example right off the top of my head. But I would say that that's something that's quite common in maybe old school children media. You have that that little bit of, like we've said, adversarialness to it. Sure. But I think it's interesting, though, that, like, the, the show sets sets that up in a weird, like, I don't want to say implicit, because it's not, at no point, like, if you're a kid, did you ever be like, oh, I want to play with Gordon, because Gordon's the this, this, this. Like, yes, mm. like, so, that's the weird thing, is that, like, Gordon, throughout the entire show, from what I can remember, and probably to this day, is always the most boastful. Okay. James was always the most snippy. Mm-hmm. And, and it's weird that like a couple of times they try to make Henry out to be part of that c- click. But <laughs> even from the episodes I showed you, Henry's like a victim through most of the episodes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, like there is there is a sense, though, where they always like I was saying with that coexistence, there is always that background camaraderie. Like it's always good natured, it seems at the end of well, the day. Sure. Oh sure, but I think it's but like yeah, they're but they all have their own personality. Yeah, yeah. But I find it interesting though that like you have and again Henry probably is the most enigmatic of all the characters mm-hmm. because he's he has all these traumas happen to him throughout. Like I, I it's weird. I, I did this. I did do this. Yeah, I did do this on purpose. I gave you a lot of the Henry episodes, probably all of them that are focused just on him. But for that first series, he's really like. He goes through a lot of emotional trauma. Oh yeah, like they, he they, they lock him in the tunnel, caught in the tunnel, let, and then he needs good. He needs better coal or proper coal or something like that. That was him, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then he then after he gets his new coal, he literally goes off the rails. Yes, when he has to pull the uh, the kipper, the, yeah, flying, the kipper. flying kipper. Yep. <laughs> the kipper is due. Who cares? This is good cocoa. <laughs> <laughs> A goods train was waiting in the siding to let the flying kipper pass, and the driver and fireman were drinking cocoa in the brake van. The kipper is due, said the guard. Who cares, said the fireman. This is good cocoa. The driver got up. Come on, fireman, back to our engine. They got out just in time. The gray line, <laughs> and then they just There's... plows into the train. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I remember like watching that as a kid because that episode, I think, when it comes to um, just the colors and the lighting and the backgrounds, is the most stark. I think it's the most oh. unique, probably segment yeah, of the I'm, entire series. I'm looking at my notes. That's the one with the where it starts with dawn, like daybreak, which yeah. I really love the aesthetic of. Yep. Yeah, and even like before we get to d- daybreak, when he's at the docks. You can see that there's actual like water on the ground. You can see some of it, ref- the light reflecting off of it. Mm-hmm. It's like those small details, like oh, it's a harbor. There's gonna be like like some sort of moisture on the docks early in the morning. Morning. Yep. And like I would imagine that if you have that nowadays with the CGI series, they're not gonna animate moisture on the ground and docks if it takes <laughs> place in the morning. Yeah, not the attitude is no because the attitude is gonna be no kids gonna pay attention to that, so we're not gonna waste money on it. Hmm. 
And that's the thing, but like, yes, but like the Henry stuff, and I know a lot of this, like, it's not fair to, um, criticize is the right word, but to analyze the show because a lot of the, the first series especially was pulled directly from the books. Okay. But I just find it fascinating though, as a story, uh, as a story thread that like Henry is somebody that truly, like, I would say not a single other character in the series has that sort of just tumultuous history. Like he does. Okay, interesting. Like, like I know because per- Percy gets caught in the water at one point. Um, yep. Thomas, of course, kind of like what's the word? A lot of Thomas's problems are created by himself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at my notes. Oh, I can't believe I I didn't I forgot it. This is one of the early ones. Thomas goes fishing and he gets the fish in his yep. like water thing. The only thing I once that happened, I was like Thomas. There's a fish in your percolator. <laughs> uh-uh. Uh-uh. Fellas, don't drink that coffee. You'd never guess. There was a fish in the percolator. Uh, but no, that... Okay, we'll get back to that in a moment, though. But no, but, like, you look at all the other characters in this, and, like, yes, there's a lot of, like, when it comes to Gordon and James, there's hubris. Mm-hmm. Edward, for the most part, is everybody's best friend. Toby, again, everybody's best friend. Percy's cheeky. Thomas is the blank slate. And you get to Henry, and Henry's just like kind of like the pincushion. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That one character kind of has all these things happen to them, and there's really no reprieve. And, and the weird thing is that, like we said with Thomas and other characters, like I know at one point James goes on the turntable and gets spun around because he gets caught in the wind. <laughs> yep. And you have that, though, but like all of Henry's problems outside of the time he gets stuck he gets locked in the tunnel are really not his fault. Mhm. Mhm. And I find that fascinating to have a character in a children's show that has all this trauma and none of it's their fault. And, and, and the we, and <laughs> the best part of it is it like in any other show that would be made to some like sad story about like oh how the world's not fair um some some way to say that some it's some sort of level of injustice. Yeah. But I love that everything that bad happens to Henry Outside of that initial incident happens to him because it's not anybody's fault. It's like, oh, why is he not able to like get a good start in the morning? It's because his his firebox is too small. It's not anybody's fault. It's not like he's being like underprivileged or he's being held down by the man. And then you go to when he crashes the flying kipper. It's like he doesn't crash because of his own hubris or just folly. It's because a signal sign because the weather locked it down. Not because yeah. someone forgot to reset it. It's just the weather did. There was it was just it was an act of God. Mm-hmm. And there's real and it's all these things that I think children's entertainment doesn't teach anymore. Is that most of the things that go wrong in your life are things that I don't want to say they're out of your control, but a lot of times things just kind of go to hell and you have to learn to cope with it. And there's very rarely in life is there a boogeyman in the corner kind of like doing a Mr. Burns <laughs> plotting your doom. And I think that's a lot of things that with children's entertainment's missing. Like I think I think back to like um like fairly odd parents. There was what a uh, Mr. Crocker who was the person yep. that was always trying to like catch Timmy's uh, uh godparents. Mm-hmm. Um, fairy fairy godparents. And that's the beautiful thing. So you got to teach kids that like you will face adversity and very rarely it will be because some malevolent force is out to get you. Yeah, 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 that's a good point. I, I didn't really think about it that way, but you're absolutely right that this show, with this cast of, this grand cast of characters that we have, 
we really get to see all those different kinds of emotions and introspections, extrospections, and that's not something, you know, I would imagine kids' media doesn't do today. Sophia the First definitely didn't do it. That was very much extrospective, I think. But even, you know, TV shows for adults and stuff, it's, it's always like they pick one direction and they stick to it. And that bothers me because it's like they're saying that that's the only thing that can really exist. And it's like, no, there's all these different sides. These emotions are complex things. And once again, you know, Thomas the Tank Engine pulls it off in four and a half minute segments. I think part of that is, too, that like you were saying with the idea of like you have to pick an angle and then just kind of stick with it, is that when this show was pitched to, I think it was ITV and Britain, mm-hmm. they were not pitching it to a boardroom full of executives that were looking at spreadsheets. And I don't want anybody to convey what I'm going to say next is me uh, advocating for state-sponsored television. But it was <laughs> the idea that like you had government television that got all of its money from taxes and whatnot. Yep. So the ultimate goal of Thomas was never to sell anything. It was never to perpetuate a narrative of a certain political, socio, socio, oh god, sociological way of looking at things. Sure. It was just there of okay, Britt Allcroft, you have the rights to Thomas. Make a TV show that will make kids that will make viewers want to tune in. Create captivating children's entertainment. Mm-hmm. That was the only goal they had going into this. And I guess do the book series justice in the process. Yeah. But that yeah. but that's like any sort of adaptation. You want to do the source material justice. Yeah, exactly. And and I think back that's the, the th- back in the weird time when no one knew what TV, the monstrosity it was going to become or could become. It was much more pure in its intentions. Maybe not its intentions, but the creator's intentions. Yeah, I think that's where eventually Thomas kind of got perverted to the fact like, okay, we can make a bunch of merchandise so we sell different trains. So let's just keep creating new and new characters, even if they don't have anything to do, because kids will need to buy it to complete their collection. Yeah, yeah. It's like the, uh, it makes me think of, um, you know, like old school, like when the Twilight Zone was bumpered with cigarette commercials. It's like, you know, they, they started to realize what TV could become and it kind of devolved from there. Yeah, yeah. It's, everything's horrible. Everything is horrible. Cause um, like me, Rod Sterling, I like to watch my Twilight Zone while smoking a camel cigarette. Oh boy. Um, I guess uh, I guess I have to say now because I want to highlight some of my favorite segments in here. So out of all these segments, Rob, I, I know we kind of talked about the Henry stuff, but is there any yep. other segments that stood out to you? Uh, I really liked the uh, the Henry one, the sad story of Henry. That one was good. I really liked the one as I was wa- starting to watch this and watching them in order, of course, I guess when they came out by season and such. I was like I got through the I think the first three or four and I was like, okay, when are we going to see, like, a crash type of thing? Because I knew they were going to have to do it eventually. And I do like the Flying Kipper one where, you know, you get that crash with, as I said, the great line right before the Kipper crashes. The train's, like, on the side rail, and it's like someone goes, the Kipper is due, and the conductor says, who cares? This is good cocoa. It's just a fantastic cut-in. But I love the episode. I'm trying to find it in my notes where the train crashes into duck when duck crashes into the barber shop i thought that was fantastic where you know like the the trucks or the freight cars break away from one of them they push themselves into duck and he has to veer off the road he crashes into the barber shop while someone's getting a shave the barber's angry but then the fat controller explains that it like prevented a bigger catastrophe 
and we get like that awesome little shot of the barber first putting the shaving cream on Duck's face. And then he goes, oh, I'm sorry, Duck. I didn't know you were being a brave engine. And then he just splashes water on Duck's face. Like, the, the minimalism of it is so pure and so unlike things I've seen in so such a long time that it was just, it was awesome. And to go back to the original point of the crash, that's great set design. The actual, like, shots and the filming that they got of that destruction is perfect, you know? I will take that like two to three second image of a model train crashing into a miniature house than any spectacle in any like big tentpole movie today. It's awesome. Real sets. <laughs> what's in the what's in the mystery box it better be miniatures that's all yeah. i care about we need more miniatures i've always loved a good miniature and this just scratched that itch hardcore exactly because that's all it is it, it, it never it never wants to be more than this and it's very happy to do that um i'm glad i'm glad you brought up the duck shaving bit because i love because that's one thing too this show doesn't get i i had never picked up on this before is that there's some fantastic fantastic quips between the characters oh yeah oh yeah because going to condense it like we've been saying the whole condensation of storytelling they really have to do everything they can with the little dialogue that they have and it's got a a great quick wit it's perfect like in that barbershop sequence like you said like the, the the barber's like he's like excuse me sir he's like well i will not excuse you you frighten my customers and then he he lathers duck up with the shaving cream and then when sir topham hat comes in he goes he got duck was being very brave he's like all this stuff and the barber goes oh i'm sorry duck i didn't know you were being brave and then duck turns around and goes it's okay i didn't know that either <laughs> yes oh it's hilarious <laughs> Beg pardon, sir, gasped Duck. Excuse my intrusion. No, I won't, said the barber. You frighten my customers. I'll teach you. And he lathered Duck's face all over. Poor Duck. Thomas was helping to pull the trucks away when the fat controller arrived. I do not like engines popping through my walls, fumed the barber. I appreciate your feelings, said the fat controller, but you must know that this engine and his crew have prevented a serious accident. It was a very close, um, shave. Oh, said the barber. Oh, excuse me. He filled a basin of water to wash Duck's face. I'm sorry, I didn't know you were being a brave engine. That's all right, sir. I didn't know that either. You were very brave indeed, said the fat controller. I'm proud of you. I know nowadays people like go back to like, like I don't want to say Rugrats because that's not fair. But they go back to a lot of that like early 90s entertainment and they're like, oh, wow, this was so much raunchier than we imagined. Um, it's mm-hmm. like all these things like who knew it was that like I had that sort of like subtext to it. And it's like it's not Here's hard, a crazy fan theory about this uh, kids media that makes no sense. But I'm going to write just a blog post about how it does make sense. And then that's what everybody sees it as. I hate that stuff. Well, not even that, though, but kind of like the the idea of putting the raunchy stuff in there that like you won't notice when you were a kid. But then as an adult, you're like, wow, this really had some like had quite the edge to it that I wasn't even aware of. Sure, I, edge, I, from what I've seen, I think those two things go hand in hand, but but not in all cases, I'm sure. But yeah, I get what you're saying. 
the idea that like it's not hard to like write a sex joke put into a kid's show and and be like oh wow like as as a three year old I didn't understand what the sex joke was but when mm-hmm. I'm twenty seven watching this I know what it is now hardy har har that's sure. not making a sex joke that goes over the head of kids is not hard to do Definitely. making having witty dialogue in a children's show with model trains. That twenty-seven years old, I am laughing at. I'm not not laughing as much as like as I was during. That's my boy with the, <laughs> yeah. the, the quaaludes to the cobra. But <laughs> it's it's the idea. Like I'm chuckling because even at one point, I think it's in the um, oh, where is it? It's in the Mavis sketch where the uh, Mavis is trying to go down like the hill, mm-hmm. and she doesn't listen to Toby, so she gets stuck. Yep. And so, like, we got Mavis is stuck. We go back to Toby's story where Toby's being informed that he has to go help Mavis. He's like, well, well, she'll never learn. And we cut back to the Mavis story. It's like the angry farmer was telling Mavis what she could do with her train. And I just started laughing hysterically at that. Right on. Because, <laughs> like, how it's be? I, I, I didn't sell it right, folks. We'll, we'll insert Toby was in the yard when he heard the news. I warned her, he fumed. She's young yet, soothed his driver, and she can manage her cars herself, interrupted Toby. They're your cars, really, his driver replied. Mavis is supposed to stay at the quarry. If Sir Topham Hat finds out, hmm, yes, said Toby thoughtfully. He and his driver agreed that it would be best to help Mavis after all. An angry farmer was telling Mavis just what she could do with her train. Having trouble, Mavis, chortled Toby. I am surprised. Grush, said Mavis. It's the idea is that like you have all this going on and you have a very subtle, I don't want to call it a joke, but a a farmer is telling a train that he that the train could go shove its freight freight cars. Yeah. And I find that like it's not being over the top, it's being very subtle. And it's something only the adults in the audience will get. Yep. Yep. Because exactly. no, no no kid understands the expression. You can you can go take your thing and go shove it. Yeah. Yeah. And then even before that, like we have the moment, like we'll we'll get to the parts with Diesel, the character. But I love how Diesel shows up. And at this point, we've established that he's a bit, ba- not want to say a bad guy, but he's mischievous. Mm-hmm. And Diesel shows up in the line of dialogue, or the line is said by George Carlin. Diesel sensed trouble and was delighted. Yes, yes, that one stood out to me. That was awesome. At the station, Diesel oiled up to her. Toby's an old fusspot, she complained. Diesel sensed trouble and was delighted. Toby says only steam engines can manage freight cars, continued Mavis. How absurd, squirmed Diesel. Depend upon it, Mavis. Anything steam engines can do, we Diesels can do better. Diesel knew nothing about cars, but Mavis didn't realize this. As time has gone on in my life, and I've always been a very low-key instigator in my social life, I love setting people up and just watching the fireworks from a distance. Mm-hmm. And I think at this exact moment in my life when I was watching this, probably at age like four or five, my entire trajectory on a social level was formed. Sure, sure. <laughs> Diesel sensed trouble and was delighted. That like, in a kid's show, can you imagine any if that again, I know we talk about this a lot in this podcast, the idea of going through with the black sharpie. Mm-hmm. If you're going to make any kid show today, that would be a no-no. 
oh yeah because someone would check some producer or studio executive would check that script or whatever and they'd be they would it would stand out to them and they would be something like what why do we need this what purpose does this serve type of thing yeah, and it's not positive. Like you, know, we can't have negative ne- negativity in the child tr- children's show. Yep. But then there's also the other extreme of that, where like I could very easily imagine watching like Frozen two, and the villain of the show is like, ooh, like, like seeing I don't know Elsa and Anna fight with each other and being like, ooh, I sense trouble. Mm-hmm. I am delighted. And it's like that sort of just like it's so so over embellished. It's so over the top. Instead, this is just a mischievous character that likes sowing discontent. Yeah, 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 it's nice. <laughs> you have a character in a children's show who their sole intent is to sow discontent. <laughs> and it's not to be, like, overly malevolent, like Mr. Burns level, but it's just it's just a character that likes chaos. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Very, like, minimal chaos, but still chaos nonetheless. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, I dig it, for sure. Yeah, it's it's neat. Um, I'm trying to think of other some really. Um, is Diesel fun- the? Because I know Diesel shows up in the the earlier episodes we have of of season two, um, with the devious deeds when um, he gets made fun of and they sing "Pop Goes the Diesel" to him. Is Diesel the same one in the Diesel? Is that the same Diesel no. train or is that a different one? Okay, yeah, that's that's Boko. Oh, okay, that's right, that's right. Because I think I I like. Didn't listen for a few seconds because I was laughing at the fact that the two twin trains, they like George Carlin does the voice, Sneasels cause diseases. And I was just like, oh, oh God, that's great. <laughs> they returned to find them all gone. The twins were most surprised. Their drivers examined a patch of oil. That's diesel, they said. It's a waddle? asked Bill. A diseasel, I think, replied Ben. There's a notice about them in our shed. Coughs and sneezels spread diseases. You had a cough in your smoke box yesterday. It's your fault the diseasel came. It isn't. It is. Stop arguing, you two, laughed their drivers. That's what's so fun about this, that there is that kind of just like, it's it's methodically paced, but it's also, it can be very sharp-witted when it wants to be. Yep. Again, diseasel. And you have the voice. Yeah, I've always liked that. I don't have much any sort of analysis on it, though, but I've always liked it just like on a visceral level um but there's but going a great back- musical flourish in that episode when i think the like the diesel train shows up and george carlin's like he's a metropolitan vickers diesel type two and then there's a musical flourish yeah. behind it and i <laughs> was like i was like that's perfect i was like hit the nail on the head with that editing and timing right there but you can call him boco yep <laughs> just then edward bustled up bill and ben why are you playing here we're not playing protested Bill. We're rescuing our cars, squeaked Ben. Even you don't take our cars without asking, but this diseasel did. There's no cause to be rude, said Edward severely. This engine is a Metropolitan Vickers Diesel Electric Type 2. The twins were most impressed. We're sorry, Mr. Never mind, the diesel smiled. Call me Boko. I'm sorry I didn't understand about the cars. Oh, that's great. And so, what thing about Boko is like, Boko never really showed up in the series that much. Like, he was there as like background dressing. Okay. But he never, I don't think after that episode, he really had any sort of focus. Like, he, don't get me wrong, I had, I had the wooden train, the die cast, mm-hmm. but he never really had any sort of meaningful role after that. 
Mm, yeah, I think he only shows up briefly in one other episode, at least for the ones that I watched. And he's also, when we have Rusty go rescue Stepney, and he goes to, like, the dark side of the the, the moon, oh, and it's yeah. all the diesels, I think you see him there. I think you don't see him by face. You kind of just see him lined up. Okay, okay, okay. Um, but no, going to some, some other of the dialogue that I like in this. In the cow episode, yes. I love that, like, after the cow is rescued, and... Uh, Gordon and Henry trying to save face Like past each other I love what they say to one another Not a word Keep it dark <laughs> Yes At the bridge Bluebell was very pleased to see her calf again And the porter led them away Not a word Keep it dark Whispered Gordon and Henry to each other they felt rather silly, but the story soon spread. I love the idea of these two like macho trains being afraid of the cow and their way of trying to keep it on the hush hush is to say, not a word, keep it dark. Yeah, that's some like mafioso stuff right there. <laughs> it's weird for children. Show. Like, I can only imagine like, again, that's that's the writers trying to amuse themselves. And, I, and it's charming. It's neat. I love that. Oh, yeah. I love the episode uh, in our list right before that, the last episode of season one, um, where Thomas thinks he likes policemen, but then has a bad encounter with one of them because um, he doesn't have a cow catcher. And yep. <laughs> the, the great little shot of the miniature notepad that the policeman has, and he writes regular lawbreaker. <laughs> but there's a great shot, uh, great in the sense that I found it absolutely hilarious, where it establishes that the fat controller is sitting like in his home or something eating breakfast you hear the phone ring and then it cuts to like a two like a one or two second still shot of the of topham hat holding the phone to his ear and it's the only time that we get like a non-narrator noise of the like the gibberish over the phone like the and i just found that so damn funny like the cut of the how abrupt it was i thought was absolutely fantastic yeah i i it's that episode is amusing because I love how the, the the police officer is so annoyed. Yes, yes, he's like, I, I, "Why I are you tooting at me? You know, you don't have a cow catcher, you don't have proper wheels. I'm writing you up as a regular lawbreaker." <laughs> and then even at the end, where like Toby goes by and like like uh, rings his bell, and it's like, "Hey, yeah, what are you ringing your bell for?" Oh yeah, that was great. <laughs> uh, but okay, going to some more of the dialogue. This is, I think. Duck has some of the best one-liners of the entire like lot of episodes mm-hmm. because going back to the um, oh god the was it the Diesel's Devious Deeds or whatever it's called um, he goes around spreading rumors and stuff about saying that Duck about the other three engines about Gordon James and Henry yeah and and you have Gordon go he called me a galloping sausage and oh, James gosh. goes rusty red scrap iron and then Henry goes I was called old square wheels. And then Sir Tom Hack goes, is this true, Duck? Did you call them these names? He goes, I only wish I'd thought of them myself. (laughs) (laughs) The three engines barred his way. Keep out. Stop fooling, said Duck. I'm tired. So are we, hissed the engines. We are tired of you. We like Diesel. We don't like you. You tell tales about us to the trucks. I don't. You do. I don't. You do. 
the fat controller came to stop the noise. Duck called me a galloping sausage, spluttered Gordon. Rusty red scrap iron, hissed James. I'm old square wheels, fumed Henry. Well, Duck, Duck considered. I only wish, sir, he said gravely, that I'd thought of those names myself. If the dome fits, oh, <coughs> he made trucks laugh at us, accused the engines. The fat controller recovered. He'd been trying not to laugh himself. <laughs> it's oh, like yeah. the, it's like pure condensed innocence. <laughs> yeah, and it's also again, it's also quick-witted. That's yep. what it is. It's like it's a way of saying, of course not, sir. I only wish I would have thought of them. Yeah, Duck is the great Western train, right? That's when he's yes. introduced. Okay, okay. Yes, this Duck. Duck's one of those characters that, like, after the first couple seasons, he disappeared. Like, he mm-hmm. kind of like he he shows up. Like, that's the weird thing too about like the new anime, like the the CGI series, is that like outside of like your initial like I'd say Thomas to Toby, because Toby's number seven. Duck disappeared. Donald and Douglas disappeared. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't think. You, again, I think. And by disappeared, it's not like they're always gone, but they never get any more focal attention. Because there's also sure. other characters. It's kind of like Bill and Ben never appear. Boko, you never got to see Daisy. Daisy's kind of like the female equivalent of Boko. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you really a lot of the characters just disappeared for the idea of like I'm not sure if they considered them hokey or their merchandise just didn't sell well back during my era, so they were kind of <laughs> left to the scrap. Yeah. Um. Yeah, like, but it's weird. A lot of the characters, just, like, you know, there was even Oliver. We didn't talk about Oliver, and Oliver had his own, like, brake van named Toad, who was one of the very few non-trained characters that wasn't, like, weird or mischievous. Okay. Um. Yeah, that's just one thing. The characters, the, the, a lot of the characters disappeared. Because I know Diesel still shows up in the new show. Because I remember okay. when Toys R Us was going out of business and they were having their liquidation sale, one of the last, like, one of the very few pieces of Thomas merchandise I could find, it was a, a Diesel toy and i had to get it because a it was really cheap and b i've always loved like diesel's been one of my favorite characters and so he must still be around okay. but other other than like the core like the initial core characters um they really in the new ones they're always introducing a lot of these characters just never i, I know like i i can't remember i think after season three donald and douglas never really appear in any sort of meaningful way okay hmm. in the sense that they never got the focal attention that they yeah. once did yeah, they're always. That's what I noticed with a lot of the characters in the later stuff that I watched. That the characters are still there; they're referenced by name, or you see them, but they're not the focal point, like you said. Yeah, which is kind of a shame because they're like I, I love Donald and Douglas. I love the shot of I, I can't tell you if it was Donald or Douglas where he's confronting the brake van in that sequence. Oh, it's beautiful. You have like, like the scene is some happening somewhere else. Then we cut to once again a distant shot and we hear like and there was this one brake van and the camera slowly is creeping across the yard and we have this really ominous musical sting as we slowly and not even zoom we get closer to the brake van and i love how donald or douglas starts threatening it yep i wrote in my notes that i think it's douglas at least according to what i have that douglas roughs up that brake van <laughs> and tells him to behave better <laughs> And then Donald eventually crashes into it and destroys it. Yep. (laughs) There was a brake van in the yard that had taken a dislike to Douglas. Things always went wrong when he had to take it out. His trains were late and he was blamed. Douglas began to worry. 
Donald, his twin, was angry. You're a muckle nuisance, said Donald. It's to leave you behind I be wanting. You can't, said the brake van. I'm essential. Ah, are you, Donald burst out. You're nothing but a screeching and a noise when all's said and done. Spite doggy, would you? Take that. Oh, oh, cried the van. There's more coming should you misbehave. The van behaved better after that. It's great. It's absolutely great. I'm trying to think what else do uh, do I have? Because there's one final part, one specific episode that I need to go into or segment. Okay. I um, love um, the, the aesthetics and the design of the entirety of Percy's ghostly tricks. I absolutely love, like, that's the episode that starts with, like, nighttime scene over a bridge and there's tons of fog and... And just the whole design of the environment I, it was uh, just amazing to look at, especially in HD. And this quality, like seeing all these details in the miniatures was awesome. Yeah, that's why I picked that. Because that is one of those episodes that I'd say is, um, it's it's oddly uh, beautiful. It's just like seeing, and it's it's funny, like with the HD, you can see they just put, they, they took the, a Percy model, put a bunch of feathers and glue on him, and blew a <laughs> fan on the train as it traversed the, the trestle. Yeah. Like yeah, you, you can you can see quote unquote all the seams, but still it's a it's a very to, for a kid show and you have the giant like full moon in the background and the navy blue sky and you have that it's convincing it's yeah. as a as a kid show train ghost story you can't make it any more convincing than that. Yeah, absolutely. Because we need to have a couple other ghost stories. Because we have one in the later one where the train falls off the, the trestle and, and goes into the swamp below. Yep. And yeah, it's it's neat. It's, oh, it yeah. really is. I, I guess now that I'm I've got to it in my notes, I uh, my least favorite of all the episodes is probably no, I'd say definitely the <laughs> episode with the bees. I did not like James goes buzz buzz. Okay, I deliberately picked that because I knew I, it would get a rise out of you. So what, yeah. what part of that didn't work? So uh, I guess, you know, I, it should have come up with the beep boot track, trash cans. How can the bees sting a train? I, I don't know everything about their faces. Maybe their faces have, you know, pores and, and can have a reaction to a bee sting like that. But that was a little weird. But specifically, I did not think the animation of the bees was necessary at all. I, I really didn't like the way they were animated when they're moving, they're flying around. And then the one that stings them on the nose when it, like you see it enlarge because it gets closer to the camera. I was like, I maybe they were trying something new, but it didn't work for me in the slightest. I I think it was just they had to communicate the idea of a bee stinging him and they had to do it in an exaggerated way. I, I Okay. Because every I've other time they show corny. Yeah, oh, corny is a great way to put it. Because every other time they show the bees when they're like on uh, James's like uh, engine to stay warm, it's like they just had some metal filings that they glued to it. Yep. You know, there's yep. no detail at all because they're so tiny, and that works. Just do that. We don't need this this animated like cartoonish bees. It doesn't fit with the uh, the motif or the aesthetics of this show, and so I just didn't. It didn't gel for me at all. I that that's never been one of my favorite episodes, but it's also one of the highlights and that just how different it is. That's true. And I guess the one thing that I did like about that episode is that we get to see um the people like the shots of the people run away from the beehive that falls over at the station. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they all clear out. They yeah. all clear out. Um but yeah, that's that I picked that not because it's one of my favorites, but I figured that would get a rise out of you. 
Sure. Oh, oh, it it did for sure. I guess the other one, the other thing I didn't really like was just just for me personally, and I I know the way I watched them was very differently from how they were presented. But in um, season or series four, episode one and episode two, which is the story of Grandpuff or Duke, I think that gets uh, caught in the shed or left in the shed for years. The first, it's a it's a two parter, and. The first thing blow the first episode like blew me away in a negative sense because it starts with Thomas is telling a story about three other trains and then in that story Duke tells another story to the trains and I'm like we what the hell is this this is so unnecessary and then I was like screaming at my TV because four and a half minutes later we get a recap a whole minute of in like seventy five seconds is dedicated to a recap of a four and a half minute episode. And I was like, no, no, I, I hate recaps in general. As Zach knows, it's just like, you know, even from the days of lost, it was like previously on lost. Do you remember these things? They're going to be important in this episode. And I hate when TV shows do that. And this was just like, there's so little time. Why waste it on this? Bobby. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> um, uh, no, I, I've I've always this is also probably the closest the show ever came to again to kind of just like and it's not as blatant melon I don't want to say melancholy, mm-hmm. uh, but I've always loved the story of Duke and what happens to him and just kind of uh, that's the weird thing about the season because season four is when it transitioned they started to focus more on the other railway okay and that's where you got your again your Peter Sam Sir Handel uh, and all them Reneus Scarlowy and. I've always loved this story of like, okay, you have this like kind of like distant railway. The idea of that there's folklore in the world of Thomas. Sure. And even though those characters would show up in the series and Thomas would interact with them to a certain degree, I've always loved the idea of because even in the um oh god, what, what are their names? Because you have Grandpuff Duke and you have Stuart oh and Falcon. Stuart and Falcon, yes. And because they were never known as that, because in the actual show show, they're Peter, Sam, and Sir Handel. Okay. And so it's the idea that in Thomas, in, on the island of Sodor, there's folklore. And mm-hmm. I think that's why I like, and I love this little notion of you have, it's this railway that kind of could, did exist. It might've existed many, many years ago. And then the mine shuts down and the whole thing just kind of has to go kaput. And yep. nobody wants Duke because he's too old. And so what they do is they basically put him away in the shed. They 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 oil and grease him one final time and figure maybe one day we can come back for you. And the idea this poor little train sits sits in this, what would you even call it, this little one-man shed. Yeah. He kind of just sits there for like a, a small eternity just waiting for someone to come back and find him. Yeah. It's and long some- enough. They don't say exactly how long it is, but I did love that aspect of the story that it's it's he's in there long enough for one the whole shed to become overgrown and two long enough that people forget where the old mine station used to be. That's gotta be a long fucking time. Yeah. I think there's again, once again, going back to the, the notion of beauty, Oh God, hauntingly beautiful. The mm-hmm. idea that like you have this little engine that's just all again, that's the thing. That's the thing about Thomas that a lot of people miss is that the overall thesis of the show is that he wants to be a useful engine. Yeah. That's what they all want. They all just want to be useful. And I think that's the same thing that most 
kids want what most people at the end of the day want. They want to be useful to some capacity. And I think we've, I think Thomas has definitely lost sight of that over the years. Mm-hmm. And I think Duke, the story of Duke is one of those stories of Thomas. And probably in my opinion, that two parter is probably the last good episodes, like okay. ge- genuinely good. Not like, ah, oh, this is pretty all right. Where it actually felt like there was some emotional heft to it. But as again, I do find the idea that they, they kind of, they put him away and he kind of just sits there for, like I said, a small eternity. And the idea that, like, you see all this stuff, like, all, like the, the landscape, the the lands, the landslide, and nature just kind of reclaims it till nobody knows he's there. Mm-hmm. And little, and I think even the narration, Thomas says that, like, nobody knew this little engine was just there waiting to be found again. And it's like, oh my god, that's so sad. This, <laughs> this little, this little uh, again, I don't know what you want to call it, uh, a creature or whatever. Like, like you said, sentient train. Um, however you want to define them in a one word sort of way, but it's the whole idea of this little thing, just kind of waiting there, waiting for someone to come back and just, cause all it wants to do is be loved. That's, that's yep. or just kind of fulfill its purpose in life. And like, isn't that what we all want? Yeah. A sense waiting. of efficacy. That's a good message for these stories. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Then hard times came. The mines in the hills closed. And the railway was closed too. People came to buy the engines. We'll take Stuart and Falcon. No one wanted Duke. They thought him too old. Cheer up, Grandpuff, called Stuart. We'll find you a nice railway, and then you can come and keep us in order. They tried to be brave and cheerful, but no one really thought their dreams would come true. Duke's driver and fireman oiled and greased him one last time. They sheeted him snugly and said goodbye. Then they had to go away and find work. Duke was alone. Oh well, he sighed. I'll go to sleep. It'll help to pass the time. Winter torrents washed soils from the hills. Trees and bushes grew all around. You wouldn't have known a shed was there, let alone a little engine asleep inside. And I think that's, even though I know Rob didn't like the first part, but um, but no, I, I think that, I, again, because even the first part of the story where we have the story of, uh, oh God, what's his name? The train that keeps going off the tracks, Clunker? Smudger. Smudger. Yeah, he, he's constantly riding rough and falling off the rails, and that wouldn't be good for his grace or whatever Duke says. Yep. What's wrong, Dookie? <laughs> great, great. And I love that he eventually gets turned into a generator out. It's like, oh, whatever happened yeah. to Smudger? He got turned into a generator out back. He's there right now if you want to talk to him. You impertinent scallywags, Duke would say. Whatever are you engines coming to? Never mind, Grandpuff. We're only young ones. Well, you'd better mind. Unless you want to end up like Smudger. Oh, Grandpuff, whatever happened? Smudger, said Duke, was a show-off. He rode roughly and often came off the rails. I warned him to be careful, but he took no notice. Listen, Dookie, he snarled. Who worries about a few spills? We do here, I said, but Smudger just laughed. (laughs) <laughs> Until one day, manager said he was going to make him useful at last. Smudger stopped laughing then. 
Well, why? What did he do? He turned him into a generator. He's still out there behind our shed. He'll never move again. After that, Stuart and Falcon became really useful engines, and all three were happy together for many years. Yeah, that was definitely horrific. Definitely, you know, gets at the idea of, yep. um, like, old school fairy tales that you would tell kids to get them to behave type of thing. You oh, know, it'd be yeah. like, you, you can't ride rough and fall off the rails, otherwise they're going to turn you into a generator. <laughs> it's great. I love it. I think that's why I think that's like when the show started to turn after that. Okay. It was like, okay, we're kind of, we're kind of losing. I think that's what you have those I only picked three episodes from season four yep. And the only reason why I picked Rusty to the rescue where he goes and saves Stepney is that I think people can Start to see too why I picked specific Episodes is that when you do have that Kind of like empathy for the characters sure. Because Rusty like okay We need an additional engine so Rusty Goes kind of to the far side of town and, Or the far side of the island And it's where yeah, all the diesels are the hell that was so i was a little confused by that i was like is he going to like railway hell like train hell because it looked so terrible over there well it's it's where the diesels are because in the back if you look at one of the shots you can see a bunch of the diesels lined up like i said that's where you see boko again you see him from sure. the back because boko was a diesel you see diesel as in the character you see mavis you see daisy okay. all the diesel engines are there but you don't see them you, you see them but not their faces and gotcha. that happened a lot in the later seasons after this, where the rivalry between the diesels and the and the steam engines became like a real thing. Because mm. I know, I think I had the videotape somewhere, but I, I haven't watched it easily in 15 plus years, where there was two diesel engines. And what they would try to do was to like a, a few times the steam engines would be sent to that part of the island and they'd always be afraid because these two diesels would try to corner them and have them like melted down. It was, oh man. It's not laid out as explicitly as that. That's kind of me inferring like after not seeing it for 15 sure, years. Sure. And that's kind of what it was. It was like, just be careful. I think that was kind of thing, like, just be careful in life. There are people in this world that do want to do ill things towards you mm -hmm. and you have to be smart enough to kind of avoid their traps. Okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And that's the sort of thing that you, I, that I think the message, because even in the movie, and the movie is going to be maybe one day we'll cover the movie. Um, keep in mind, folks, 2000 summer movies and <laughs> Thomas and the Magic Railroad was a summer 2000 movie. So we might be getting to that sooner rather than later. Um, but even in that, though, the villain of that was Diesel 10, and he had the little crane on top of his head that he was always trying to antagonize the steam engines. Uh, okay. So, yes, there is a there. This is kind of what, uh, yes, Diesel is the first. Instance of the steam engine versus diesel rivalry, but mm -hmm. it became much further fleshed out in, in later episodes. Okay, right, right on, right on. Yeah, makes you think of uh, makes you think of the Rush song, "The Trees," where all the trees are fighting with each other. That's a great song. All trains fighting with each other. <laughs> yeah. And for the most part, the steam engines don't want any parts of it. They're just kind of backed into it. Sure. Uh, I'm trying to think what else do I want to focus on. There's at least a couple of things here and there because I do want. I'm going to focus on my favorite segment for the last bit before we delve into our questions. Okay. Um, I guess. Uh, 
okay. Uh, Percy's intro, I know I showed you the episode. That's the one where you're having the the, the, the tender engines are on strike. Yes. And Mr. Topham ha- has to go and get another tank engine to help shunt the trucks. And I've always loved this as an idea. I guess it's all it's kind of like the mystery of what could be, or like, oh, it's it's the JJ Abrams mystery box thing, which you gotta <laughs> give him credit for. Is that when Sir Topham Hat goes to pick out Percy, as the camera pans from left to right, we see all these other engines under cloths, under tarps, and eventually we get to the very end and we see the tarp come off Percy. But as a kid watching this on a grainy VHS tape on my standard definition TV, I was always mystified by like, oh my God, who are those other engines? What other engines mm-hmm. could those be under there? Like, like now you watch in HD and it's clearly like Gordon, Henry, James, Thomas. Oh, under, okay. It's, it's the models under there. But just as a kid, when you didn't know that, it was like, oh, wow, like. Who are those engines? Could those yep. be like other engines we haven't seen yet? Could that be Colby? Could that be so and so? Could that be another engine that we've never seen before? You're going to taste that this world is bigger than you know it is, and it lets your imagination run for sure. It's the Thomas the Tank Engine equivalent of the bar from Star Wars. <laughs> you have all these characters in the distance that are just shrouded enough that your imagination's on fire, yet in reality, the shows give you nothing. <laughs> nice. I like that. Um, and then going to when Thomas goes down the mine, I when Gordon comes and rescues Thomas, I love just the music and just the sound effects in that. From sure. where we have like the the wench attached to Thomas, we hear the dun 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 as Thomas is being pulled out of the, the mine hole. And I love how that final segment ends in the camera placement. You have the you have never mind the lighting, the sunset, the colors of the sky. You have Gordon pulling Thomas out of the hole or pulling him away from the hole at this point. And if you look at how the shot is framed, the camera is located, quote unquote, in one of the mine shafts because framing the shot, you can see the outline of the mine hole. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's 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 unique. That stood out to me too. It's like it's a great way to uh, establish that shot and frame it. Absolutely, it enhances the scene, giving you more context as to where this is located. You're fleshing out the world further. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The design is just something. It's it's superb. Yep, and I love it because like the news, the, the CGI show is certainly not doing that. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're not wasting their time framing shots that way. Not at all. I think for the most part, that's that's it. Because okay, I talked about the the, the flying kipper. I guess one thing too, just like kind of the idea of going back to the sets, and it's the one where Percy saves the day. He plows into like the uh, the di- I don't want to say ditch, but it's kind of like the r- ravine that's been flooded. Sure. Like that's another thing too. Like they had to actually drive one of their models and create a model or a, a set that yeah. was actually flooded. Hmm. Yeah, it's great. That takes that takes time and effort, man. That's yeah, not dedication. Do. Yeah, yeah, that's neat. That's that's the sort of thing. And I guess the final thing I want to get into before I talk about my final, my favorite segment, is when Thomas does have the um, the the fish in his in his tank. Yes, I love this so much. As they talk about, they take out the little like billboards that say "Danger, keep away." Keep away. Yes. <laughs> For the longest time on Twitter, that was my banner. I took a screenshot of that on my phone. And that was my banner. The little nice. plaque that says "Danger, keep away." I would love to make one of those. Like I know, like in reality, like it was a, probably a, like what a, a two by one inch size yeah. prop. For the mm-hmm. for the, the trains, but I would love to make one of those like in scale to how the other characters, where it's like three by five feet. 
I want that. Oh, that would, that'd I, be I, cool. Maybe something for the restaurant. Danger. Keep ah. away. I did like the um, in that episode it ends where the the humans take the fish out of his water tank and then they have fish and chips for dinner. <laughs> yes, and after they're done eating, you can actually hear Sir Topham Hat go, "Mmm." Yep. Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. So I, I was like, I was like, wait, don't eat those fish. Or there's a fish in the percolator. Oh god. Oh god. So good. Oh, god. <laughs> All right. And with that being said, my favorite segment. Not all just right. of Thomas, but possibly of all of, of, of everything. And okay. I might, and only my, much like how we talk about Rod's mother with Harry Potter, this is where I need my mother to attest to this. <laughs> my favorite segment is Pop Goes the Diesel. Ah, okay, okay. Because of the song at the end. Pop Goes the Diesel. <laughs> I, I cannot overstate how much I love this in the past. And how much I currently still love it now. When <laughs> I was younger, I had the audio, like like audio tape. Because back in the day, I probably remember this. And if you're one of people our age, you remember you should get like a little kitty book and be a little like cassette tape with it, and it would oh, yeah. narrate the story you you got a little book for. So I had one of those for Tom for this tape, and so every time we were in the car when I was younger, I would always play this. And I always, it would just be the portion of Pop Goes to Diesel because <laughs> I loved it. And to the point where I, my mother remembers this, I would tell as soon as it was over, again, again, rewind it. And yep. I would just listen to it forever. When Doc returned, Diesel was trying to take some trucks from a siding. They were old and empty. They had not been touched for a long time. Diesel found them hard to move. Pull, push, backwards. Forward! Oh, oh! The trucks groan. We can't. We won't. Duck watched with interest. Diesel lost patience. He roared. Gave a great heave. Trucks get forward. Oh, oh! They screamed. We can't. We won't. Some of their brakes snapped and the gear jammed in the sleepers. <laughs> Chuckled Duck. Diesel recovered and tried to push the trucks back, but they wouldn't move. Duck ran quietly round to collect the other trucks. Thank you for arranging these, Diesel. I must go now. Don't you want this lot? No, thank you. Diesel gulped. And I've taken all this trouble. Why didn't you tell me? You never asked me. Besides, said Duck, you were having such fun being Rev whatever it was you said. Goodbye. <laughs> Diesel had to help the workmen clear the mess. He hated it. All the trucks were laughing and singing at him. Trucks are waiting in the yard, packing them with diesel. Show the world what I can do, gaily boast the diesel. In and out he creeps about, like a big black weasel. When he pulls the wrong trucks out, up goes the diesel. Growled diesel and scuttled away to sulk in the shed. <laughs> and I've never stopped listening to it forever because when I got my first iPod, I found it and put it on there. Every time I get a new phone, it 
always goes on there. Nice. Even to this day, on my current iPhone XR, I have it on there. Do you use it as a like a ringtone or a notification sound or anything? I've never used this that because I don't want to sully it. Oh, okay, okay. I, yeah, if you if you feel a certain way about it, it's exclusivity, definitely. I, I can get behind that. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. I love. I, I think that's why I find the Diesel character so endearing, is because he's he's inherently tied to that moment because it's about him. Sure. Um, I, 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 in all honesty, I would imagine for a large portion of my life, I didn't know the song was "Pop Goes the Weasel." It was "Pop Goes the Diesel." <laughs> nice. In and out, he creeps about like a big black weasel. When yep. he pulls the wrong cars out, pop goes the diesel. <laughs> and that's how and I remember like hearing that like in elementary school, and you would hear that like in other children's shows, and it's like, no, it's "Pop Goes the Diesel." Yeah. What are they? What's this new version? <laughs> yeah. It's like what? The, it's like what the hell is a weasel? Where? Like, where do you ever see a weasel? I can point to a black diesel. Yeah. Can't point to a weasel. <laughs> yeah, uh, I I, I I love it. I love it so much. I love that everything about the episode. I love. I think that's why I love the character of Diesel. I love the music cue. I love the sound of his like horn. I love how every time he talks, he has that like like hushed like snickering whisper. Yep, it's yeah. great. It's yeah. Great. I like it's- that they when they introduce him in that ep- uh, episode, it's, they show him off where he's like at first outwardly he very acts very polite. But he's really ob- obnoxious and devious underneath, and doesn't think he needs to learn anything. It's 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 a good it's like once again four and a half minutes of a Thomas the Tank Engine segment does everything right, including character development. But even like the voice, because even like I think the one I gave you was the Ringo Starr version. Yeah. But like like Ringo's ver- like I know there's a version of George Carlin seeing Pop Goes the Diesel, and I'm like no. no 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 it's Ringo no this shouldn't exist. But even like when. Carlin's narrating uh, Diesel He does it just as well Like the narration of the character Because I know in, when we're even described Like when we're initially um, introduced to him Diesel's voice is described as oily yeah. And you're like well, I guess, Imagine if somebody told you like Oh what does that person sound like Oh they have an oily voice You'd be like well Like what does that mean Like of course you get like slick But that's more just kind of You're describing somebody's just Intent in a conversation like kind of like what they're Trying to get at but when you hear The narration of Ringo Starr and George Carlin you're like oh that's Exactly what an oily voice should sound Like yeah absolutely Oh nice to meet you duck And <laughs> James and Henry And Gordon too It's like oh it's so good it's They don't make they don't narrate things like This anymore <laughs> right on The engines were glad when A visitor came He purred smoothly towards them. The fat controller introduced him. Here is Diesel. I have agreed to give him a trial. He needs to learn. Please teach him, duck. Good morning, purred Diesel in an oily voice. Pleased to meet you, duck. Is that James and Henry and Gordon too? I am delighted to meet such famous engines. But yeah, I think everything in that that segment I love. Like even when like like Diesel is getting very frustrated with like moving the trucks and ducks, like just laughing at him in the distance. Yeah, yep. And you have like you have like Diesel growling, arr, 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 and you have the trucks. Oh, 
Yeah. And I'm like, this, I'm like, stop, stop. And then like, I know I'm going to have my crescendo with the song at the end. I'm like, I can't handle this. Like safe word, like banana, banana. <laughs> Man, oh, that's it's, good. It's, it's delicious. And I love every, to this day, like I will, I will stop what I'm doing when that comes on. And just listen to it. It's, it's, right on. it's, 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 it's literal music to my ears. Yeah. I'm sure we have, have put the clip in already. Um, but it is a good one. I did like that pop goes the diesel rendition for sure. Um, and it'd be interesting, you know, I gotta get a, I gotta get a, a file of that on my phone now. It'd be interesting to use it as, you know, uh, some, some notification sound or something, but this is the most Rob thing ever, as I'm sure Zach can guess all my notification sound, my ringtone, my text tone and my alarm are all Animal Collective songs. <laughs> Shocking. Shocking. So who, I have to who remove could have one seen... of those for Pop Goes the Diesel. In the most flat, monotone voice ever. Yeah. Who could have seen this coming? <laughs> oh, right on. I nice. did. I, I should say that if anybody's ever interested in finding, like, the perfect custom uh, ringtone, muse our TV show, like, intros or theme songs are fantastic because they're only about, like, a minute long. Yep, and they're very loud and very shrill, so you never have to worry about like, like not hearing it. Because I know sometimes <laughs> you pick a song, a song can be very quiet and it's not very loud. But TV show theme songs are designed to catch your attention, and they're very brief. Yep, and um, to this day, the best ringtone I've ever had, and I'm kind of I had to retire it because it's so perfect. My mother uses it on her phone now. Mm-hmm. Is the Mission Impossible TV show series theme? Ah, sure. It's loud. It's shrill. Nobody else on the earth will have it, and it it's it gets your attention. And like you hear that, you know exactly that it's your phone that's ringing, and it's very catchy. Yeah. Right bump, on, right bump, on. bump, 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 bump. Yeah, it's great. But loud, I'll know and, the... loud and shrill is a great way to put it because every day I, when I have to set my alarm, I wake up to the last track from Odd Sack. <laughs> uh, of course you do, Rob. <laughs> it never fails to get me up. I'll tell I you that. I bet it doesn't. It probably never fails to get my neighbor up as well. <laughs> <laughs> Even the skinwalkers getting up at that point. <laughs> um, but no, I, at one point, because every I'm actually I'm due for it right now. The changes like every January or once a year, I will change my ringtone to something different just for mm-hmm. variety's sake. And for a while there, the Thomas the Tank Engine intro of the that was my that was my ringtone for like a year. Right on, right on. It was on. great. I loved it. Every single time I heard it, my mother was like, aren't you embarrassed? And I'm like, no, what is there to be embarrassed about? It's yeah, Thomas. He's, exactly. he's great. People if should anything, be ashamed. The people who use the default ringtone that you hear all the time should be embarrassed. Oh that shit's just annoying. Oh my God. Like I hear people like, like people have like a text message and you hear the, the noise, like the little like, specific like iPhone noise. Yeah. Like, no, it's like normie. Yeah. <laughs> Get out of here. Get out of here. I, I love when I'm in like meetings or like conferences with large groups of people and one phone will make that noise and everybody will take their yep. phone out. And it's like, you're all stupid. You realize this, right? <laughs> like this can't be the first time this has ever fucking happened to you. You have to realize that this is a problem and you can fix it. <laughs> it's not like the phone doesn't already have like 60 like different chimes yeah. built in oh, and you geez. can literally download anything you want for free off the internet. 
<laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You can even I, do I, it I, now I, with iTunes. iTunes lets you make your own. Like, you don't have to pay for it anymore. You can make if you have like a song on iTunes, you can make your own ringtone. There, perfect. Do it. That's our call to action this episode. Watch some good old Thomas the Tank Engine. Yes. And fix your damn ringtone. <laughs> yes. Pick a different. Pick any of the trains that you like, whether it be Thomas, Henry, Percy, Gordon. Pick one of their their horns or their whistles and make that your ringtone. Yeah. Perfect. Bonus points if you do pop goes to diesel. <laughs> Bonus <laughs> points will be will be allotted. Then we'll send you another gold star. Um. But yeah, that's kind of like I would imagine like the moment like I, I we, we finish this discussion, I'll be like, Rob, I forgot about blank. Yep. It it comes with, you know, the uh the thing Zach loves. We've done it before, but you know, it it's uh it's it's interesting, you know. I, I was kind of thinking back as I was watching these. This is like this unexpected love series has turned out really well, at least for us being in agreement on things. It seems yeah. we have four stuff, four movies, you know, four media uh, entities that we've watched that have really just worked out well for all of us. Rob is saying is he's surprised that we're still friends. Yeah, <laughs> I think I was saying that before the podcast started, but but definitely <laughs> this just reinforced it. Yeah, um, I, and I guess this one last thing about Thomas to wrap up is that I remember this was in my research for this. I I remember back. I remember I was in Florida in June of 2011 on I don't want to call it vacation, but it just I wasn't in New York, so anything away from that state is considered a vacation. Sure. And I remember being on my phone getting a notification that oh they're making a to- a new Thomas the Tank Engine movie. And the special effects were going to be done by the people at Weta. And it was like, Ooh. oh, okay. It was like, okay, like it's going to be horrible, but at least <laughs> it's exciting. And so yeah. I'm like, okay, like this, this has potential. And I, for years, I've always wondered what happened to this, considering that it's been almost nine years since it was announced. And it seems like it's like a script was written sometime in 2010 ish, and it's essentially just died in development hell. Oh, bummer. That would have been really interesting at least to see what Weta would have done with that. Yeah, apparently it was good from according to the Thomas Wikia, uh, the film would have taken place in London during World War II and revolved around a preteen boy who has drifted apart from his father. The son is introduced to the world of Sodor, a place his father visited as a child but cannot remember. There is a bonding experience. It has also been confirmed that it would have involved a steam engine versus a diesel confrontation. Okay, I'm getting a little vibes of like maybe with the with the whole thing of saying it's like a world he visited and didn't remember. Like maybe a little bit of Alice in Wonderland or what they did with the new Winnie the Pooh movie with the grown up Christopher Robin. Sure. I'm not I'm not super excited about it, but still it would have been interesting to look at, especially after this context I've gotten from this discussion and watching these episodes. Yeah, um, I I uh, uh, no, I don't want it. Yes. No, yeah, it, it, we no. want to keep the purity. Absolutely. Yeah. No. Like, like you lose. Like part of the charm of Thomas is the fact that there's no real people. Like in the sense of like there's no actors. It's mm-hmm. little little like figures that were painted. Yep. And the only really uh, human character that has any sort of character development is Sir Topham Hat. Yeah. Anything anything beyond that, I don't want. So I guess I should say I did look. This being British, of course, when they introduced him as Sir Topham Hat, I was like, okay. What did he get his knighthood for? Because that's oh, what a sir geez, means. Please. And in the, in the Thomas the Tank Engine lore, I found that he was knighted for his services to the railway industry. And I was like, perfect. That's it. That's all you need. 
All right, real quick on the same article about this like failed Thomas movie, which was supposedly titled "The Adventures of Thomas." There's because uh, it's like any sort of Wikia article. It says this article has been protected due to threat of vandalism. Okay, and above that, it has a quote from one of our segments. Nice. Excuse me, are you a vandal? Driver told me vandals break in and smash things. <laughs> That's perfect. That's not- that's another great one-liner that we didn't even bring up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So whoever whoever put that on that page, they they get a or decided that to be the phrase for the wikia. They they are familiar with this material. That's great. They are a hardcore fan. They get a thumbs up from me. They get a gold nice. star. Right on. Cinemati's gold star. Um. So Rob, with all that being said, uh, Cinemati and or late night movie. All right. So Cinemati's. I'm gonna have to go. Yes, Uh, this was I did not expect this to be I did not expect to enjoy this as much as I did. Um, I certainly expected it to be kind of kids media that we were going to have more of a nostalgic discussion about about it kind of totally blindsided me with the aesthetics and the design of it. And also when I was thinking about it more, it's crazy to me. Well, crazy in the sense that it happened now that I've watched it, I can kind of understand it, that this became such a, a something that permeated the culture and human knowledge so well. And that, like we said, is still going on today. And for those reasons, I have to say yes to Cinemodities. Late night, I was torn, and I love the fact that they're so short, but I think I'm going to have to go with no, because I can't imagine anybody else, one, watching to wa- wanting to watch this, and then latching onto it in the critical sense that we have. And so I'm going to go yes for Cinemodities and no for Late Night. I'm going to go no for Late Night because I, I I think this is the antithesis to a Late Night movie. I think this is something you watch like like, like on a, like a Saturday morning as a kid before you go play with your friends. Like you, you, sure. you watch this while you're eating a bowl of cereal. Yeah. You're, you're playing with your own Thomas trains, just kind of like doing your own story. It's not a Late Night movie. Um, Cinemati, I'm going to have to say no, but with an asterisk. Okay. The asterisk being, because like Rob said, it was such a phenomenon back in the 80s and 90s, even to this day. Um, just, just the characters resonate with people, even though they've been bastardized in the last 10 to 20 years. The initial three to four seasons, I think there's something truly magical. Mm-hmm. And this is where the asterisk comes in. I think it's a shame that nobody's gone back and reevaluated this as truly a masterpiece of children's entertainment. Yeah, I, I think that's a part that's a little devastating is that it, it has not gotten that revival. Like I've said numerous times on here, if anything's available on YouTube for free, that means whoever owns it does not care about it. Yep. And the fact that this has been uploaded so many times to YouTube, and it's ne- it never gets taken down. It means that, again, this is hit entertainment. They just don't care. They see there's no money okay. in this whatsoever. So it's it, so there's never going to be a, a – even though like we've said before, it's like why do we want a Blu-ray set? If it's up for free on YouTube, but I would, I would love that. I would love to support something like that, have that all on disc so I can always just put it in and have it kind of like almost recreate that experience of the VHS thing. Sure. Um, I'm more of just the idea of supporting old school Thomas than just maybe the viewing experience. Cause I have, I have both the individual segments and I have the entire seasons. Then Rob didn't see this part where they play out just like the VHS tape where in between the segments, you get the, uh, the train sitting there with the little musical theme playing as you, you cut oh. to all different of them. Nice. Um, I have that too. I have all the different versions, whether it be, cause there's, I don't think I, I didn't tell Rob about this is that when it comes to the first two series, you have the Ringo Starr narrated ones, 
George Carlin narrated those. But then for the U.S. release, they had Ringo Starr re-narrate them again, mm. changing certain British slang for American terminology. Oh, interesting. That's neat. What, what you and I have, and I have to go back now and download the the Ringo Starr American slang for American terminology, because that's that's what my VHS tapes are. But what okay. you and I watched when it came to Ringo Starr are the wholly original British versions. Nice, yeah, and that's that's the way to do it for this discussion for sure. But not for nostalgia though, because my nostalgia yeah. says I watch the American version. So I, have to, <laughs> yes. I again, I I have like I have like ten gigs of my hard drives devoted to like Thomas the Tank Engine different forms. <laughs> Um, but Thomas, yeah, just, Thomas, uh, Zach's hard drive is to Thomas as Rob's hard drive is to Law and Order. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Um, but yeah, no, it's 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 not a cinematic, but I hope that we do come to a day where, much like other forms of children entertainment, where people go back and say, "Wow, this was like like we didn't appreciate this for the more like like they're not." Yeah not appreciating on the same level we've been talking about for the last two plus hours yeah it deserves a retrospective like that not like we talked about with the sexism earlier finding the problems in it it needs to find the good things in it absolutely and i think that's the problem that people ever do go again the problem is the people in media Mm -hmm. are inherently biased to looking for those sort of problems so if anybody of significance ever did go back to this like they did a few years ago they're going to automatically go straight for that and ignore the just the the artistic brilliance that's present here. Yeah, it's a bummer. And it's sad to say too that even like the director of a lot of these segments, David Mitten, um, he passed away like twelve years ago. So, um, and I think even like a lot of the original, some of the original models were on display in like different like um, theme parks in Great Britain. But I know also a few of the models have been stolen over time. So, um, which is a shame. A lot, a lot of a lot of Thomas the Tank Engine history from this era is unfortunately gone, either because. Who would have again? Who would have thought to save a lot of this stuff? And on top of it, a lot of people who were working on this were already like in their forties and fifties in the yeah. early eighties. So they're they're gone now. Because I imagine we'll we'll delve more into Thomas if we ever get to Magic Railroad. Because that's we'll get into more Brit Allcroft story and her um, owning the the, te- the the film the film right yeah. mm-hmm. television and film rights to all of Thomas stuff. Because um, she's certainly an interesting character in all this, but that's uh, much like in the words of Thomas the Tank Engine, that's a story for another day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Which I love, by the way. I use I've say that I didn't even say on this podcast before. I say it a lot. The, the I, that's where I got it from was from this the 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 oh god expression. That's a story for another day. Sure, it, it right comes on. directly from my love from Thomas. All right. With that being restaurant. said, are we ready for yeah, good old restaurant? So oh, right. uh, I'm 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 going first because sure. I do not want you stealing any of mine. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was about to start with. I think this is going to overlap with Zach. So first, yes. Go well, for the it. first one I did, deliberately did not mention this in any of our discussion so far. At one point, when Sir Topham Hat is writing in Henry after he's out of the tunnel, he leans out the window in his hat falls off mm-hmm. his head it blows away and a goat starts eating it because he was eating his hat for tea yes. i think we should have that i want to have a sir topham sir topham hat's hat for tea <laughs> okay okay um uh, do you think that we should have maybe like a uh, like a tea time in the restaurant or something not like you know you have to get tea but like you know some restaurants have a happy hour we would have like the tea hour and you could get sir topham's hat to Sir Topham's hat. It doesn't hat. matter as long as somebody's <laughs> eating a hat. That's all I care about. <laughs> okay. Okay. Perfect. 
I don't care about the logistics for it. Before anybody out there calls me like an ugly American, I get it. When 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 British say, "Oh, he ate his hat for tea," I know tea, like Rob was saying, is like a time. Mm-hmm. It's not like it's not like some like weird disjointed like misunderstanding. I'm not that dense, folks. Um, I think we have to, of course, have some version of fish and chips. Oh yes, yeah, I had that one. Yep. Um, right from Thomas's percolator, like mixed in with the dirty water and everything. Yeah, oh, of course. <laughs> Much like when you go to like a restaurant, you can pick out your lobster. You could go to Thomas and you pick out the fish. <laughs> oh, that's great. I love that. And you have to fish it out with a bucket with multiple holes in it. F- uh, yeah, I think they even specify that it's five holes in that segment. <laughs> I love that shot of them pulling it out of the water. You see these perfect little just like, like uh, it's not even drips. It's it's pouring out essentially. Yep, yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like um, it's like watching an animated um, like version of a calculus problem. If there's five holes in this bucket and this holds this much water, how fast will it deplete? And then they're like, we have to get it quickly into Thomas. Oh, that was that was a good segment. I love it. And I love the idea of having a bucket with that many holes. Yet nobody sees the urge to replace it. <laughs> <laughs> or even try to patch it or anything. <laughs> and, and the weird thing is that, like, in that segment, the bucket can be fine. You don't need the bucket to have holes in it. Sure, exactly. It's just another That's, little flourish. Yep, and it's great. I love it for that reason. Um, and I guess uh, in the, the cow on the tracks, mm-hmm. this is one thing I didn't mention also. I love that, like, they're like, oh, that must be Bluebell the cow. She's looking for a calf who's going to market. Yep. So clearly on the island of Sodor, they offer veal. Mm-hmm. I think we should offer that too. If it's good for the people on the island of Sodor, I think it's good <laughs> enough for the Cinemati's restaurant. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Yeah, I, I love that little line where it's like, oh, I, we have her calf here. It's about to go to market. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't expect that. <laughs> that that took a very dark turn real quick. But but then it uh, it, it's given back to, uh, to, the, to Bluebell. So th- there's a happy reunion. Yes, and they both go off to market. Moo, <laughs> moo. Um, that's what we call it. That, we don't call it the veal. We call it the moo. <laughs> In Ringo Starr's voice, perfectly. You gotta do it. Yeah, you gotta do it that way. Else, you don't get. It. You don't get yes. the veal. I think just uh, like Sir Topham Hat in, what was it, like a year or two years ago now, Ringo Starr got knighted. It's for his work on Thomas the Tank Engine, right? <laughs> goddamn right it is. All this beetle nonsense. Nobody cares about that. He's goddamn Mr. Conductor. Oh, um, Okay, we have to, of course, have some version of the flying kipper. Okay. I, I think it needs to be a, a kipper fish that's delivered to the patron as it is flying through the air. And, or something like that. We need some version of that. It's, I think the flying has to be in the delivery. Yes. Or maybe it com- maybe like the condiment train. There's, there's, there's a specific condiment train that comes by the table and it has kippers in it. Okay. I like that's, it. The same, we can always figure that out. I like sure. the idea, maybe the, uh, maybe a specific version of the condiment train. I like that. Um, and I think the final one. This is something a little bit different for us at the Cinematis restaurant. I think we should have the barber from Duck. Duck Ooh. gets a close shave. I think I think offering some hot shaves could definitely get people on board. So we would have like an in-house, like maybe from our like our Disneyland uh, sing-along songs. We talked about having the main street in the restaurant with different storefronts. We would have one of those be a barber shop. Yeah, get some nice okay. hot shaves. If you're if you're lost in an infinite void, you're gonna need a haircut eventually, right? <laughs> exactly. You gotta look <laughs> dapper when you're wandering around the abyss. Oh yeah, okay, I get behind that. That yeah, I, okay, yeah, branching out into like the cinemodities restaurant and mall type of thing. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> Only problem though is that periodically a train comes crashing through the through the wall. So <laughs> it's up to you. Is it worth it? 
man. He gives a real he gives a real nice close shave, but you gotta weigh the cost benefit analysis there. I could I could get behind that as well as part of our like packages for our employees, like the benefits that they get at the restaurant. There's not many. They do get treated quite poorly, as we've established in all these discussions. But one of the things that they get would be, you know, maybe not free, but discounted haircuts and shaves. I, I like dig it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've. I think this has come up. Uh, maybe not in a while. But have you ever had like a hot foam shave at a barber shop? I have not, Rob. Oh, it is great. I've only done it a few times, and mo- most because there was a barber shop near me when I lived in Ohio. And man, that is. Your face feels good after that. It was awesome. There you go, folks. He's selling it right now. He's selling the idea. <laughs> Come to the Cinemodities restaurant for a close hot foam shave and leave with inedible food on your plate. <laughs> <laughs> and possibly a train crashing through the wall as you're trying to get this shave. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Okay. Do you have any others? No, I, was, I figured I left one for you because I know you're going to use one. Okay. Uh, There's one obvious one that I left. Is it the hot cocoa? Because that's one Damn I definitely straight. wanted to bring up. Damn so my, my thought on this was um, whenever a customer orders a drink, we have a beverage at the restaurant. We have some system, which would be, you know, random to some extent, where – the it wouldn't it, it would have to be some algorithm combining randomness but low frequency i wouldn't want it to happen all the time but there would be some notion that you know every so often a customer would order a beverage and the wait staff would come back with hot cocoa and whenever the customer confronts our waiter about this or their waiter about this the waiter gets to scream at them who cares this is good cocoa and totally ignore it <laughs> I'm on board with it. I got okay. no complaints. <laughs> I love that. One, I think we'll get the clip in again here if we because we have it already. But the way that it, re, the retort of that conductor or fireman, whoever it is, who cares? This is good cocoa. It's just so there's like so much exuberance to it. It's fantastic. Because <laughs> why wouldn't there be, Rob? It's good cocoa. Of, of course. Yeah. Who cares if the kipper's coming through? We're on the side rail to uh to like let it bypass. We're just doing our cocoa. What does it matter? It's good cocoa. <laughs> Who cares, said the fireman. This is good cocoa. Love it. Love it so much. So my last, that was my only true snack. The other thing, well, the fish and chips uh, we already discussed. The other thing that I was interested in, because I was so uh, on board with the concept of sentient trains, my thought was, well, let's go back and dig up some trains that we already have in the Cinemati's restaurant and replace them with our sentient trains. And I was actually surprised when I did a control F for train in the Cinemodities spreadsheet, I found a handful. We have the condiment train from Nothing But Trouble. We have the gravy train from Thanks Killing 3. We have trains that get lost in the infinite void from Disneyland sing-along songs. And then oh, yeah. Even, oh, yeah, we did that. Yeah, even two weeks ago, we talked about having train tracks that you have to get a burrito from on the That's My Boy multi-event competition. So I was like, we got trains, we got tracks. Let's go and make all of these, I'm pitching, sentient trains. They're more of our employees, and we can you know, interact with them the way they do in the Thomas the Tank Engine universe. And I think the cherry on top is they get massive jizzles so that they can get rub downs at the end of every workday. Because that was something that we did not discuss 
I believe that's how um, the uh, the conclusion to the sad story of Henry is. He realizes he doesn't need to hide away to keep his paint nice. At, what he realized to do is ask his driver to rub him down when the day's work is over. He knows that the best way to keep his paint nice is not to run into tunnels, but to ask his driver to rub him down when the day's work is over. So it's perfect. It's good for the trains. It's good for us. And hell, that might be the best hook that we've ever come up with or would have in the restaurant to get people into it, that they can talk to a train. What do you think? I love it. <laughs> yeah, I'm on board. I think that this this is a rare thing, as we've already discussed uh, on this episode and multiple others. Uh, Rob is usually going to shun all artificial intelligence. But this case, like we said, it's not even artificial. It seems like it's just natural, and it's the way this world works, and I want to draw upon that. I love it, folks. I love right everything on. about this show. Love it, love <laughs> it, love it. Incorporate into the restaurant every way we possibly can. Right on, right on. Yeah, it's it's definitely better than those things that we hate where we say we hate it so much it gets no place in the restaurant. Ah, <laughs> oh, good old Thomas the Tank Engine. I look, yep. I so look forward to hang, the end of this discussion immediately realize there's like a hundred things I didn't say. I I, <laughs> I I feel like right now, like we've been talking for almost three hours. For three hours. Yep, not yep. Almost. <laughs> and it's like, oh, there's so much here I could sit there and talk about. There's, there's, I even talk about uh, the first episode of Alec Baldwin. You didn't get to see the episode, Cranky the Crane. Oh, geez. No, yeah. Yeah. I didn't get to mention Tugs, the spinoff Tug. they try doing with all the tugboats, and it's like oh. 100% British. And like, I've, like, it's all on YouTube, and I've tried watching it so many times. It's just, imagine, oh, God, like, 30 minute episodes of nothing but just British people yelling at each other, but said being people, they're tugboats. It's insane. It's that like genuinely <laughs> tugs. We probably will get to tugs eventually. Okay. Like, okay. like we have to, cause like if I showed Rob an episode of tugs, he'd be like, Zach, what is this? <laughs> like, where has this been my entire life? This is insane. Oh, the problem, man. the problem is that like, it's insane, but it's, it's very one note. Cause it's just people with British accents and dubbed over like tugboat props. Sure. And it's like, what is going on? You've done very well so far, Patchy, but we figure you still owe us. You're going back on your word. You said that was the last barge. The thief. Changed our mind, see. It's one more barge. Get it tonight or it's goodbye to him. David Jones's locker on the seabed. The missing barges. What's that? Hear anything? No. Right. Do as we say or else. It's getting too risky. One more, I said, tonight. Don't do it. I've got to, haven't I? You promised tonight will be the last. Deliver on his six. Jeez. Yeah, it sounds crazy, for sure. <laughs> yeah. It was. It was uh, back in, like, the late 80s. They tried doing it. They even tried, like, they had a bunch of merchandise for it. But, like, mm -hmm. it's really hard to find now because it didn't really last yeah. that long. Um, but yeah, there's that. And uh, I think there's a very strong possibility now, unless something changes, that uh, come summer 2000, the retro perspective series, very good possibility that Thomas and the Magic Railroad shows up. So I can cross right Thomas off the Cinemodities bucket list. Yeah, that's been on there for a while. I know you had that in your side, your your page of the spreadsheet forever. Yeah, on my, good old my side of the spreadsheet. <laughs> All right. Well, we did it. We finished another series. I think I say it every time, but this one is probably the, I'm going to miss this one the most. I love the fact, though, that this is something we could definitely come back to one day. There were things that Zach and I pitched to each other that we didn't talk about. So unexpected love might make a return in 
2022 after the retrospective <laughs> after the 2001 uh, summer fort year yeah yeah so so this was a good one for sure um i will say that we are going uh pun wholly intended off the rails next month with our series dedicated to uh, uh one of my have come to be one of my favorite directors when watching all his stuff um, and I think Zach loves him as well. Mr. Paul Bartel. We're going to dive into some, I think, uh, something that's close to pure cinemodities in some way or another, right? Yeah, it's not Thomas and the Tank Engine or The Adventures <laughs> in Babysitting. It is nowhere near close to those things. Yes, so keep keep a lookout for the entire munch, uh, munch, month of March, where we will not only have five Mondays to discuss... But we will have our two-year extravaganza episode as well. I'm very excited. Six Cinematis episodes in one month, folks. <laughs> Good. Lord help us all. Oh, yeah. My whole spring break will be editing podcasts. <laughs> so uh, uh. I, I was going to say that we should end this episode with some good old Thomas the Tank Engine theme in reverse. But you, you sold me when you talked about your favorite segment. We got to throw some Pop Goes the Diesel in there as well, right? Goddamn right. <laughs> so we do have a full, I know in the files I watched, it's not really like the theme song isn't fleshed out. It's just kind of cut off in some cases. We can get a full version of that, right? No problem, Rob. Perfect. No problem at <laughs> Zach's all. like, I've been listening to it the whole time we've been talking. <laughs> I was born for this moment, folks. Everything's been leading to this exact moment. You know what? A little, a little part of the Cinematis podcast dies today because it's just, it, it, it's not died, it's fulfilled. Fulfilled. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And uh, we've fulfilled, you know, a lot of the stuff getting to talk about, you know, for me, adventures in babysitting and Hudsucker Proxy. I would have no no idea where else we could have put those things. You know, that's my boy. I think, you know, like I said, I never would have watched that. And Thomas, too, if it wasn't for the podcast. So it's great. And our audience knows more about us now. We're getting we got fan mail. We're reaching out to them. Oh, it's been it's been a good February. I guess one final question to ask our audience when it comes to, I guess, Comparing and contrasting our two unexpected loves, which one was the more jarring? Was mm. it Rob's choices or my choices? And then besides that choice, you had to compare the two films that we each picked, which is more like a more of a juxtaposition. Adventures in Babysitting in the Hudsucker Proxy or That's My Boy in Thomas the Tank Engine? <laughs> well, when you say it that way. <laughs> okay, okay. So I think I won the latter of those the debates. But, um, oh, but that's yeah. Good. Like, yeah, hit us it. up. That's a neat question. You know, which one was truly more unexpected for you out there in the in the audience? Yeah, that's neat. I like that. I would imagine Scott E will be unbiased. Wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let Rob rant more. Come on, Zach. <laughs> Was <laughs> he